Hello and welcome to the This Head Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that has been shit on by a pigeon for good luck. Every week on This Head Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my fake that's better than any original Chris file. Hello, Chris. Ooh, I'm an original. Um, No, you're a fake that's better than original. What? I have never been called fake in my life. Um, You're a fake like, um, what's the line in Breakfast at Tiffany's? I cannot contain myself ever enough to be fake. Um, I (laughs) I am incapable of not exposing my real feelings about anything at any time. Allow me to take you on a walking tour of a village in Tuscany to convince you that I am right and you are wrong. And we are still in Tuscany. We have not left. We have though. not left Tuscany. It is our, tu- is it, our tu- uh, it is our Tuscany double feature. Uh, listeners, we are coming to you from the past. Mm-hmm. Joe and I are throwing ourselves into the future. If we say anything weird, we are recording this days before the Oscar nomination. This is true. Know yes. that. And know you, that. You are currently living in a world where Oscar nominations have happened. What a world. I don't know. I like our world. Our world is like, is, is, uh, has possibility to it and, um, you know, endless, endless ways that the future could go. So. I like this part of the year. And then the nominations happen and you're a little bit more limited. But, you know, that's fun, too. That's fun, too. You know, there's still possibility that there are things that could make us excited for a whole other month. We got to figure out how to change the Oscar infrastructure to not have such a long time between nominations and the ceremony. Well, economically, it used to make more sense than it does now. Right. Economically, it was... You would get your nominations, and then you would use that time to sell tickets to see your movies. And if that is no longer the case, and if if by the time these nominations come out, all of these movies are on streaming platforms and VOD, mm-hmm. I guess there's also, you know, the chance to to hype that. But it's 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 a much I don't think different. AMC economic. even does the like best picture showcase anymore. That's a bummer. Well, I mean, I think Netflix kind of somewhat killed that, but right. I mean, we also are living in a possible world where there are no Netflix Best Picture nominees. I think that's not going to happen, but it is possible. It would be wild that that would happen this year and not last year, because last year was the year where it really looked like it was shaping up for no Netflix movies, and then All Quiet on the Western Front sort of right. barged down the door, and then this year... It looked like a much stronger lineup. I don't think. I think ultimately Maestro's getting in there, no matter what. Again, you're. I think so to this too, future, probably. So. Um, but like, is Focus gonna put the holdovers back in theaters when they've you know had it on Peacock and 
rent. They already pulled it when it was making too, money way too early. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We can't. We can't get dragged down by this. We have to. We have to. Uh, we can't. We we have better things to talk about, Joe. We're here talking about today. Today, a masterpiece. I agree. You have said recently that you wish we would agree more these days, and <laughs> we're, we're in an agreement era. We are. We are trying to <laughs> agree with each other a lot more. I don't think we're trying to agree with each other a lot more. I think we have just wow. Look at me disagreeing on the topic of whether we are agreeing too much. Um, amazing. No, no. I'll, uh, amazing. I, maybe I'm trying to be less combative. That's I'm trying fun. to be more amenable. Resolution was that a resolution? No, I have. I don't make resolutions. resolutions. I feel like that's passe. Maybe we should bring that back. Bring back resolutions, but like. Weird specific resolutions. Like, I'm going to eat more asparagus in okay. 2024. You know what I mean? Like, something like that. You can work that into a meal very easily. I'm a, have a okay. Little rice asparagus bowl. intimidates me in terms of cooking because it has different textures within the same spear, right? And you're looking so at me broccoli. With a well, you're not wrong there, but broccoli, I feel like you can just sort of like roast and you're good i guess you can just do that with asparagus as well just like put some salt and oil on it and put it in a pan yeah that's what you do with asparagus okay maybe that's what i'll do anyway i like um, your resolution again we're here talking about a masterpiece i love this movie so much it's only i've only ever seen it twice now Uh, i saw it one time when it was in theaters did i see it at new york film festival i might have seen it at new york film festival um was blown away by it. And then it became one of those movies where it's like, I can't just have this on passively. Both because there is also, there's no. subtitled uh, foreign language dialogue, but also it's the a subtitles movie, come and go to. It really so. demands your active participation. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I can't just watch this while I'm doing something else, which has kept me from watching it again. So I was glad to have this opportunity to just sort of sit with it and and be with it, even though I did watch it on the Roku channel, so there were commercial interruptions. But um <laughs> what does the AI just des- when does the AI decide it's actually not bad. It takes it takes it takes commercial breaks when there are lulls. So like I was appreciative okay. of that. Um but it is a movie that requires your active participation in a way that sometimes people think of as like Oh well, that's homework. I don't have no movies to to do homework, and it's and it's not quite that. It just it's in a dance with you, and you will get so much out of this movie if you dance along with this movie with with Kiara uh, Stami and and Juliette Binoche and William Schimmel, and it is um one of my faves. One of certainly one of my faves from the last you know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say though, and this is maybe where I want to uh, kick things off with you is it's still the only Abbas Kiarostami movie I've ever seen. Okay. How, what ones of his have you seen? I mean, not a ton, but I've seen a good handful. I've uh, uh, the big one, obviously being taste of cherry, which yep. uh, is his palm win. Um, I've seen, uh, I think the wind will carry us. I've seen like someone in love. So I'm not, I under no circumstances claim to be a Kiarostami acolyte, but I've seen several of his movies and have never disliked one have been 
even maybe the weakest among them that I have seen have been blown, absolutely blown away by some element in them. Right, right. Or some moment in them. We'll and, talk a little bit more when we get into the other side of the plot description about yeah. Iranian new wave cinema and his role in that and what his movies are sort of known for. And you can maybe speak to that via the ones that you've seen. But um, this this remains at the moment the only Kurosami movie I've ever seen. I would like to see some of the others, but it's, you know, they're on the list. It's all on the <laughs> list. So, um, this movie was on our, speaking of the list, on our sort of like long list for movie to do in the future. And we kind of got goosed into it by our uh, patron because this is our sixth film in our Patreon selects series. Um, and very, very happy. I was very happy to see that this was one of the ones. A that, nice uh, surprise. Our our sponsor tier patrons have been sending us to Europe. We've done some international cinema. We have. We've done yeah. pretty much all actress-focused cinema, except for our Heat episode. Uh, and then we have one more next week, and then we have one of our sponsors who's never claimed a movie uh, for us to do yet. So that'll pop up as a random surprise at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so you'll have us back next week, back in America, doing decided not masterpieces, but uh, <laughs> still talking about actresses. We'll see if listeners can guess what we're doing. Yeah, I think they'll be very happy that we're doing it. Um, but this movie, what a nice surprise to have Peter pick this for us. Peter, thank you, uh, Peter. One of our multiple sponsor tier Peters. Yeah. Uh, I love this fucking movie. And you're very right to say you cannot passively watch this, mm -hmm. even if you've seen it before, because for a movie that's such an idea movie, yes. it, it really kind of wraps you up in how like the form of the thing is also an exploration of the ideas that it's doing. In yep. like the way that it structures itself, it kind of forces you as an audience member mentally into the idea, which is maybe a, a really rote way of putting it. Uh, but I find this movie so thrilling. Uh, There's also many different ways to take in this movie, which I also yeah. really like. You can sort of like choose the level to which you are going to engage with its central for lack of a better term, mystery, and mm -hmm. whether you want to engage with it as a mystery or not, I think both of those are perfectly fine. I know some people get frustrated when people get overly um, analytical about trying to figure out a movie that maybe isn't meant to be figured out. But I also think that's fun. I think it's fun to investigate this movie through the little cracks and crevices in the facade of... Mm -hmm what's happening and trying to figure out what is the facade and what is, you know, for lack of a better term, real, which, you know, plays into the themes of the movie about authenticity and, and not authenticity, which is really good. So I think the movie intends for the viewer to play these little games with it because you're engaging with, you know, uh, however you decide to do it, you're engaging with the movie's intentions. Mm-hmm. Which I like. And your own perceptions, not just of what is real, what is not real, what is uh, a performance and what is real 
but also like what we perceive these roles that they're playing to be. And what is um, the value of real versus performed or real versus facsimile? Do you know what I mean? That, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Is this is going to be much... for an episode for if a listener has not seen this movie, I would suggest you watch the movie first because it, it's going to sound like we're talking around yes. subjects and ideas in talking about the movie, like to engage with the movie, you you can't really engage with it on a plot level or a character level because like it's all ideas and like yeah it kind of I, I mean I think one of the most thrilling things you're talking about because you're talking about the like scare quotes figuring it out this movie the puzzle of it and I think one of the more thrilling things of it is like there's no end point. Right. to figuring this movie out. It's not right. like you never hear the key locking right. in place and then it's right. all laid out for you. I think right. like to figure this movie out is to be in like constant conversation with it. Yeah, which I love. Um I'm going to read the the message we got from Peter and then you can maybe talk more broadly about our Patreon uh uh in general. Um, All of these Patron Selects episodes, we're getting the Oscar origins of our sponsors. Joe, take it away. What does Peter have to say? All right. I'm quoting Peter. They say, quote, I think the first time I became aware of the Oscars was the Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon year. I recall you've both spoken on it, but it's hard to understate how huge a cultural phenomenon Crouching Tiger was. Even now, the thought of any non-English movie making more than $100 million would be an achievement, but how anything Asian in any context for years, years, could be reduced as a joke to a reference to Crouching Tiger uh, spoke to its ubiquity. I was very lucky that my parents, and my mom especially, would take me to any movie I wanted, including any R-rated movie I wanted to see from a young age. I was 11 when it came out, and it seems crazy in hindsight that I would become aware of this Chinese martial arts movie that at that age, sorry, of this Chinese martial arts movie at that age. But it was the monoculture, and I saw it in theaters twice between my mom and dad. When it became this Oscar force, I became invested in this concept of rewarding achievement in films, and ever since have loved not always what it rewards, but reflects in culture. I'm half Thai, so I think there was also this subconscious feeling that something Asian and so definitionally foreign became so mainstream was fascinating. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was my gateway to the Oscars, to Asian cinema. Somehow it unlocked a pathway for In the Mood for Love to become my favorite film at age 12. Work. And more broadly, White Dachshund, to, I know what you are. <laughs> and we love more you, broadly, to non-English language films, Peter, uh, that is an incredibly, uh, I think, relatable uh, to a lot of people on a lot of different levels. Um, yeah. I was another person who, um, I was, I was so proud of uh, being in tune with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in two thousand. I was. Uh, uh, I wasn't quite that young, but I was like, yeah, man, foreign cinema, I am opening myself up to cultures, and and it was um, it was rad. It was a, that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon becoming so mainstream was a moment, was a real moment. Yes, 100%. And I'm so glad that Peter brought it up, because like, as much as you and I, because we were, we were formed in those early aughts, as much as I think a lot of our listeners were as well, and like Peter yeah. was too. 
yeah. that that was something adjacent to awards that totally was happening and we maybe haven't talked about it enough or haven't had the opportunity yes. to with a movie that we've chosen but like the martial arts cinema or asian cinema the having its moment around the time of crouching tiger yeah uh truly was a thing because i think before that like i'd had some consciousness of like martial arts cinema through Bruce Lee, you know, but even that was somewhat niche. Um, Right. And you saw it probably on television, I would guess. Sure. Like a late night TNT. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. But, you know, it it really did have a moment and then it would be, you know, westernized by people like Quentin Tarantino and action movies that would follow this moment of like Mm -hmm. Shang Yi Mu films coming over in addition to Crouching Tiger. Yep. The yep. the Crouching Tiger success in the West is so interesting, perpetually interesting to me because it was not seen as a success uh, domestically. Yeah. Uh, you know, because of things like, and we would not perceive this here in white America, at least, that like the accents are all wrong. And so right. for a domestic audience, they did not. They kind of laughed at the movie. Rejected I remember it, yeah. that's one of Ang Lee's stories about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that I I love this. This is maybe one of my favorites that we've gotten from the Oscar origin so far. Yeah, patrons. This is really great. Um. Uh. Peter sent uh this to us because he is one of our sponsor tier patrons on this head Oscar buzz turbulent brilliance. Chris, why don't you tell the listeners all the fun we're having over at the Patreon? Listen, uh, our sponsor tier is all booked up, but if you still want to join us over there for $5 a month at just the regular Gary level, you are going to get uh, a few things in addition to fun times had by all. Uh, First, which you're going to get two bonus episodes every month. On the first of the month, you're going to get what we call exceptions. These are movies that fit that this had Oscar buzz rubric, but they managed to get a nomination or two. Uh, we've talked about movies like Charlie Wilson's War, The Mirror Has Two Faces, Rob Marshall's Nine. We're about to have another listener's choice, but our first listener's choice exception was The Lovely Bones. Most recently, we talked about Paul Giamatti in Barney's version. Uh, and then on the 15th of every month, you're going to get the second bonus episode, which we call an excursion, which is, uh, you know, kind of a deep dive into various Oscar ephemera that we are obsessed with, such as Hollywood Reporter Roundtables. We've recapped MTV Movie Awards uh, this month coming in uh, just over a week or so. We're going to be doing what we're calling the This Head Oscar Buzz Superlatives. We're basically going to be giving you a little mini award show of just Joe and I, where we are giving you our picks for random strange categories or weirdly named categories uh, throughout the Oscar season. We're talking about, uh, you know, I don't think we're doing best movie for grownups. I think we're doing a category like that. Best grownup love story is the one I think we're taking from the M for G's. Uh, uh, yes. Best kiss, etc. Yeah, Fun, et weird little categories we're going to have a good time with. But yes. if you want to join us for $5 a month, you can sign up for This Had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance over at patreon.com slash this had Oscar Buzz. 
Wonderful. Chris, um, uh, I don't think there's any reason for us to delay any longer talking about the the film of the hour certified copy. So we're going to get right into it. You're up for the 60 second plot description this time. So <laughs> I maybe this will be 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, you could go as as deep into the reality of it as you want to, but we'll see how it goes. Um, we're talking about certified copy, the 20, 2011 uh, United States release, although it was a 2010 uh, premiere uh, at Cannes. We'll get into it. Uh, written and directed by Abbas Kiarostami, the late Iranian uh, film legend, starring Juliette Binoche, William Shamil, uh, who we'll talk about was an opera star uh, rather than first a movie acting star. performance, first and ever acting performance, thrown opposite. Juliette Binoche at her doing like powerlifting. Yeah, uh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Also, uh, Jean Claude Carrier, Agatha Nathanson, and uh, Gianna Giacchetti in my one of my favorite single scene performances in uh, in the twenty first century. <laughs> I love her so much in this movie. Um, premiered May eighteenth, twenty ten, at the Cannes Film Festival. Then the following October at the New York Film Festival before opening in limited release in the United States on March 11th, 2011. Chris, I'm going to pull out my stopwatch. Oh, boy. And uh, you have already said that you can do this in 30 seconds, so I, I can only, I can... I can set it for 30 if you'd rather. Um, uh, just set it for 60. Okay. We'll see. It, right. It's also one of those things that I could spend 30 seconds just laying the ground with uh-huh, before uh-huh. anything happens in the movie. All right. Uh, I am ready to start. Uh, your 60-second plot description begins now. All right. So James Miller is a British author. He has written this semi-controversial book about art and uh reproductions of art and justify trying to justify that reproductions are it's like they you know they're just as valid as original artworks etc meanwhile an unnamed french woman played by juliette binoche so we'll call her juliette binoche uh she is like an antiquities uh dealer type of person uh she takes him on a tour they go to a museum where she shows him a fake he doesn't really want to see it so then they go get coffee and this woman mistakes them for a married couple and juliette binoche just kind of goes with it and then from there on they seem to be pretending to be a married couple or maybe they've been a married couple this whole time we actually don't kind of know and then they go and kind of get dinner and Juliet Binoche puts earrings on and kinds of flirt with him. And then they talk about how they've had this disappointing 15-year anniversary and there's a wedding going on in the background. They go back to his hotel room and they talk more about their disappointing marriage and presumably he goes back to London. Two seconds over. Um, It was 20 seconds into it before you mentioned the words Juliet Binoche, so I was like, okay. All right. All right. Um, uh, I'm glad we didn't only give you 30. Um, no, that's, uh, it's as succinct as you can put that movie while also you could talk for so much longer about the, you Themes, know, like- layers of, uh, are they, are they playing with each other? Are they performing with each other? Are they acting as if they are in a marriage that is coming to an end or are they in a marriage that is approaching its end? And sort of, this is the last gasp of you know rediscovering a transference are they a collection like is this dialogue that we see over an hour and 45 minutes or so us like uh, a 
a steadily uh, widening snowball that as like, oh, we think you're, I'm someone who thinks you're married. So then that's going to add details to this relationship. And then they meet right. this other married couple that's like, well, you have marital strife. And then they suddenly have marital strife, you know. As how- much as as much as Richard Linkletter's before trilogy can be seen altogether as a sort of a holistic whole. I would love to watch before sunrise and then certified copy back to back. This is um, galaxy brain before sunrise. It's uh-huh. uh, it, before sunrise is, you know, reflections on relationships at certain stages where it's like, this is a theme applied to that rubric and then filtered through whatever that theme is, you know, because yeah. I think to give, if you want to go blow by blow of what, happens and how the relationship develops in this movie and what we're supposed to question as truth or reality or transference between them i feel like it would probably take longer Mm -hmm. to explain the beats by beats of this movie than the movie itself because it's so breakneck paced that uh it's laying all this groundwork for the relationship to change right before your eyes to the point where it's like it's changed before you realize it sometimes that's 100 percent true and that's absolutely more apparent when you watch it again Mm -hmm. um i think ultimately you come down to it's you can come down to the question of do i believe that this is a married couple who are uh who have decided to encounter each other in this city that they got married on their 15th anniversary as if for the first time, and then sort of move through and bleed back into their own existence as a married couple, or they are semi-strangers who have met in this city that only one of them lives in, um, sort of meeting across cultures, and because of the chance sort of misunderstanding of this woman in the coffee shop are motivated to go into this impromptu and unspoken um improv essentially role play yeah role play as a married couple as a way to both get to know each other but also she up until that point had been pretty combative about his the theories of you know originals versus versus duplicates in art and it becomes kind of a way for them to argue that point through the depiction of you know f- through themselves uh, taking on the role of a facsimile of a married couple do you know what mm-hmm. i mean so um it's it's heady stuff, yes, but it's also it comes down to a very kind of simple one or the other, and you don't necessarily have to choose. Although I understand if somebody's going to watch this movie and by the end they're going to want to say, "I think they were this" or "I think they were that." Um, I tend it's a much to... more complex. Uh, Kiarostami gets the audience. If they're engaging with the movie and not just like 
walking out because it's too heady for them or something. It gets the audience to engage with the central, like, foundational question of the movie in a way that's much more complex, much more interesting, much more applied to, like, human relationships and human life. Because this idea of... Well, because, like, she takes him to see this artwork that Mm -hmm. people believed was the real thing for, For like, decades or something, or centuries, and then it's proven to not be the real thing. But they still go to see it. The real question is, well, yes, people are still going to see this fake thing, but also, what is real because it was treated like it was real, or Mm -hmm. it was treated like it was original? Um, And it just kind of continues to galaxy brain itself every, you know, line of dialogue, basically. Well, and then also you get into questions of her frustration, her levels of frustration, and the the woman that Binoche plays never gets a name. She's called, credited as she in the the end credits. Um, I think it's good and fine as you did in the plot description. Even her sister has a name and she does not. That's right. Her name is Marie, right? uh, with an IE, as she says. Um, yes. And so, but this woman is a really fascinating person because even before they be, th- we get to the part where they uh, acknowledge each other as husband and wife, um, she's very prickly with him on that car ride. That yeah, car they're bickering. Ride, before and i know that kiara stami from what i am given to understand he's sort of known for scenes that take place in car rides long car rides yeah i mean taste of cherry is like half just long car ride and so this car ride through this the streets in whatever i looked up the filming locations um in tuscany the one uh, town is called arezzo uh or the one region uh is called arezzo um sort of driving their little car through these streets and out the back window, they have this big sort of like back window to the car. So you can see everything that they're passing and you're, they're going slowly enough where like you can see people at like fruit stands or kids kicking a soccer ball or sort of this like whole like life is going on around them. And at the same time, their front windshield, you're getting reflections of these buildings, these sort of like this, this Italian architecture all around and it um i imagine if i were to sit down and really dig into it you know what i mean there would be all sorts of things about just sort of this 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 bubble that they are in outside of whatever sort of greater you know tableau of life that is sort of happening all around them but even as they're in that car ride even before that, when she has the, the when she, it's her and her son, and she's talking about how, like, well, I didn't really like the book, but I want to get it signed. Because sometimes you give somebody something, somebody that you don't like very much, yeah. a copy of a book that you don't very, <laughs> like very much. Um, but um, she has this sort of date with this guy, and the son is teasing her and saying, like, you like him. And then, so, when you think about that in retrospect, of if that's really their son... Is he talking about his estranged parents and sort of, you know, poking fun at them? And like, you Mm -hmm. don't really know. Um, Or is it the key that makes it all fall apart if you're trying to read into it being real? Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I thought of that too. But anyway, 
on this car ride, she gets watching her in this in in these scenes is so incredible because like she gets so quickly annoyed by him or there's some sort of like level of anger underneath this which does then support the idea that they are married <laughs> you know what i mean because why would you get this sort of angry at a stranger just because you didn't care for his book just because you find his ideas about art you know, objectionable just because you find him maybe condescending. And, but she, it does feel like she is both, um, attracted to him and, and, um, interested in him, but at the same time, quick to be angered by him, mm-hmm. which it's fascinating. Her performance, how in this much movie, of that too is a projection of mm-hmm. a husband or an ex husband that she might have too. And mm-hmm. like that as an idea, well, that of projecting her of... ex husband is a big possibility of sure. what's going on. Yeah. Because it, if you, if you relate it back to the like foundational question and theme of this movie, it's like how much of our perception or our value of reproductive art or I guess, you know, I mean, Kiarostami is also, you know, has his filmic influences too. So like, if you think about it on a filmmaking level, how much of our relationship with art or how we perceive an art is a projection of our own experiences, our own mindset, Uh, you know, how much of like, (laughs) <laughs> how much of like our relationship to what we are seeing who we are experiencing is all in our minds that we are thrusting upon it and i brought up before sunrise earlier and i think one of the things this movie has in common with before sunrise is that all of this would feel like pseudo philosophical jerk off material right if not for i don't mean jerk off and that you would jerk off to, i mean like you know like you know intellectual uh, uh you know pretentiousness through. pretentiousness thank you um if not for the fact that the scenes themselves are so well performed well filmed compelling in and of themselves Watching the two of them interact with each other, mm-hmm. there's such great rapport. I think there's always something happening in the backgrounds of these. This wedding that sort of is happening throughout this day that they keep encountering and re-encountering is really fascinating. The woman, as I said, Gianna Giacchetti, the woman in the coffee shop, um, <laughs> my heart and soul. That that conversation I she want has to take up residence coach. in that coffee shop just to uh, listen to that woman all day. She has just a tremendous conversation with uh, Binoche about how, you know, Binoche is talking about how, like, you know, after 15 years, you know, you would uh, think that he would have more consideration and he's always going off and he's obsessed with his job. And uh, Janet Giacchetti is this very sort of like pragmatic sort of like, listen, if we wanted to wait, you know, if we if we wanted to uh uh, ruin our lives we would wait for something that's perfect you know essentially and <laughs> um and you sort of like you she's both sort of chiding Binoche's character to be like you know you'd be a lot happier if you let some of this go while also at the same time 
being like men, you know, if they didn't have their jobs, they'd cease to exist, you know, that kind of a thing. And so she's, she's not unsympathetic, but she's also like girl, you know, um, at some point, you know, you gotta have to let some of this go. And then you get scenes like the one with, uh, Jean-Claude Carrier, which I swear to God, I Oscar winner. I, he's an Oscar winner. Uh, he's a screenwriter. Honorary Oscar winner at that, too. Honorary Oscar winner, but was also a screenwriter for uh, Louis Bunuel, and he wrote The Unbearable Lightness of Being, I want to say. Yes. Um, yes. And I swear to God, I did not know that until I was listening to, this morning, listening to the Screen Drafts episode on Juliette Binoche that they did for Christmas this year. And mm-hmm. that was one of Clay, our friend and former guest Clay Keller's trivia questions, was about Jean-Claude Carrier. And and um I was like, wow, that is incredible timing. And also like writing that down, jotting that down, because I had no idea. Um, I wouldn't have known him even by name. Um uh you you definitely recognized him by name, but he plays the older gentleman who they run into this older couple who I love the way that's filmed, where it seems for a second that the husband is berating his wife, and then the camera moves slightly to the side, and you see that he's on the phone being angry at somebody about some th- something, but he's on the phone. He's not yelling at his wife. And then he hangs up the phone and they're all in this uh, piazza or, or sort of just like this town square. Yep. Where there's a statue. There's a war- big work of art, big statue in the middle. And they are tourists and they are admiring the statue. And Binoche is also admiring the statue. She and 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 uh, William Schimmel are in an argument because she loves the statue and he finds it, um, you know, cheap or 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 uh, sentimental. I think it's sentimental. I think that's the thing that he doesn't like about it. But anyway, um, and Benoche is trying to get the woman, uh, Agatha Nathan's character, uh. To be like, no, you were saying this thing about it. Say what you said again. And she's like, I was mostly agreeing with you. It was the thing that you said. Um, but then Jean-Claude Carrier pulls William Schimmel aside at some point and is like, I can see you and your wife are maybe having a little bit of a tiff. And my advice to you is just, you know, make some gestures every once in a while to her that show her that you care about her. It will go a long way. And it's this very sort of like he says, he at one point says, I could be old enough to be your father. Um, so let me give you some fatherly advice. And you're so at this point, your brain is churning at this point, being like, what's the nature of their age? And I literally am like, is this his actual father? Is he her father? <laughs> like, how how deep does this conspiracy go? Like, what's are they Regardless, all involved though, in it? This whole dialogue moment does like your brain is just wired to because this conversation is happening to make you invest more in that in the possibility that it is true and that it's happening mm-hmm. and that's part that's partly the genius of this movie that it's just like this movie understands how human brains work at least for audiences mm-hmm. and it 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 does so much to make you believe in the possibility that it's real yes yes um but that scene is just so compelling. I think on a scene-by-scene basis between what's happening in the foreground, Binoche and Schimmel, what's happening in the background, whether it's a wedding or or whatever else. I also, I at the very first shot in this is the empty table where he's about to sit down and give his little book talk. 
And to me, it was like half between Wes Anderson and Michael Hanukkah, where it's like, it's that dead on Wes Anderson angle and the row of books. And I'm like, Ethelene Tenenbaum is about to sit down here and say something. <laughs> but it's also Michael Hanukkah. I was sp- specifically thinking of Cachet, where all of a sudden it's this thing where you are looking at an empty space and waiting for the thing that will fill it up, right? And right. and you sort of you're you're giving yourself tension. You as audience member are both uh, observer and perpetrator. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. Speaking yeah. of Juliet Binoche masterpieces. Yeah. Uh, okay. First of all, thank you for bringing up the screen drafts of Juliet Binoche, in which this movie is, in my opinion, don't spoil it for me. I haven't gotten there yet, so I haven't finished it. Okay. Never mind. I, okay. I won't say anything. Well, no, that's uh, silly. Say it because our listeners. This movie is just ranked too low. I mean, like, okay. get me get me on a soapbox about where things should be ranked in a screen draft episode. Uh-huh. If uh-huh. I had been on this episode, which Clay and Ryan, if you're listening, I would have been on that episode. That's their thing. <laughs> they do their Christmas episode. They do their yeah, Christmas yeah, 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 episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But like, get me to talk about Juliet Binoche. I know. Uh, any time of day. Uh, I'll be texting you about it as I listen to the rest of it throughout this day, Chris, so we can talk about it. Feel free to text me about the let the sunshine in portion because I was going to say, I know, I know they're fixing to, to, to not draft that as high as you would want it. Catch, catch me on the right day. And that's my favorite Juliet Binoche. You're still pushing that on me. I still have to find a, a time to see it. And, and I will. Listen, I, uh, I, I'm, I, I know your philosophies on, when people tell you that you th- they think you're going to like something, your brain is hardwired to be like, uh, well, show me or prove it to me. And I'm not, not going to say like that about that. that movie anymore. I'm not always like that. I am not. I sometimes think like I, I, I build things up. But as I said to you about people talking about Sundance movies, I like that people evangelize the movies that they like so um you also do not wish to be perceived so you do not like the idea of someone perceiving something as being i'll tell you the thing that annoys me more is somebody being like oh you don't have to you don't have to see that like you can skip that and it's like oh maybe i want definitely done that to you i sometimes like to just even if i'm not gonna like it i want to see it for myself do you know what i mean like so sure um, but I like, no, if somebody's like, I think you'll really love this movie. I absolutely take that in. I then put a little bit of pressure on myself to be like, I need to give this movie it's proper. You know what I mean? Again, I'm so, I watch so many bad movies because I'm like, well, I can watch this movie while I'm doing their things. It's, <laughs> it's probably a fucked way of doing it, but like, that's why like, that's not I, the way to watch. Let the sun shine in. No, um, but it is the way to watch fast X, which I watched before I watched a <laughs> lot of 2023 movies that I would rather see. So, um, but anyway, um, this is how I watched on a clear day. You can see forever, uh, in my barber rewatch. What a f- have you ever seen that movie? No. Little did she know what the fuck was going on in that movie because that that musical is just uh, fundamentally flawed but then also like it, that 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 movie is uh, no who else is in it anybody i would know uh what what's the actor eve uh, something uh jack nicholson has a cameo basically oh, okay most of his role was cut cuz they cut like an hour out of that movie they should have cut more Anyway, anyway, uh, listeners, if you are sick of hearing me talk about Barbara, 
get over it. I'm doing a whole rewatch. It will pepper its way in somehow. To get back into certified copy, Chris, I want to talk to you about um two other characters who I don't didn't write down among the the stars of the movie who I think are uh major contributors to this movie, and that would be Juliette Binoche's bra straps in this film. Which <laughs> are... I was like, okay, the sun and <laughs> Marie. No, the uh, the way Great in which bra her bra straps both appear and then and then are 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 not around uh, is there's a whole saga with them whether she's wearing a jacket or whether she slips into a church to take off her bra and uh, and but like it's it's the costuming Listen, because... on her is incredible in this movie and also the makeup. Well, let's get into it. The fact that she does not have a character name does not suggest does not uh, tell you as an audience member that this is a character who is not given complete specificity. This is a woman who walks around with multiple pairs of chandelier earrings on her to change so into like, as as she sees fit. Yeah. Yes, which like that's another thing of like is this a performance? Like she goes into the bathroom and we watch her try on multiple earrings like she's trying on a new person. Yep. It's so fascinating. Also the earrings that she chooses. All I'm going to say girl is there's a reason that they put the red earrings on the poster, not the ones you chose. Uh <laughs> All okay, I could think let, of was the old man in the airport in Home Alone, where he says, "She's got her own earrings, a whole shoebox full of dangly ones, dangly, dangly ones." ones. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't sound trap, that'll kill you. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Julia Pena. Oh my God, this is my Part favorite of, performance of hers that I've ever seen, and I know that I have not seen all it's a of good them. Call. Good call. But um, this is my favorite. She's. I mean, I would probably say Three Colors Blue is her best performance. I haven't seen that. I'll, I'll open myself to to being wrong about that. But but I mean, maybe my favorite performance. It's it's probably this or let the sunshine in. <sighs> It, it's hard to call because she's always so great. I mean, like, yeah. and she's the the magic trick of this movie. She is the perfect actor to pull it off because what this whole, what am I watching? Is this real? The subtle transformation that's happening, but mm-hmm. not being indicated as it's happening to us. She's such a natural screen performer that, like, yeah. I don't know. Even people who like side eye the Chocolat nomination, it's like, yeah, but she's also really good in the movie because she's never, well, I'm sure she's been, well, no, she's been bad. I've seen Ghost in the Shell. She's been bad before. <laughs> but <laughs> what am I saying? What am I saying? She. I've never seen Ghost in the Shell, so I can't speak to that. Uh, I'm not going to say you can skip it because of the conversation we've just had but uh yeah maybe don't prioritize it for understood. many reasons yeah um understood yeah i think the type of performance style she has that is so naturalistic that's so like in actory terms from the toes up that is her ability to conjure reality an emotional reality mm-hmm 
makes this move. I mean, like, I don't want to discredit what Kiarostami is pulling off or what her co-star is pulling off, but, like, in in a lot of ways, it makes the whole conceit of this movie work. Can I also she is say that level of actress? And this is maybe on my mind because uh, I was listening to the screen drafts and they mentioned the fact that she's played actresses a lot. It would have been so easy to make her character in this movie an actress by profession and sort of turn it into you know this woman is always performing or something like that. But well, I and love that, that would it's almost be that. like too much. Agreed. I like, love that it's it not in the. You would question this reality in the wrong direction. I you know absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Um, the fact that it just seems to be coming from a place not of well, this is her. Or she's not like she's not an actress. She's not a con artist. She's not like this. Isn't like what's up, doc, or something like that. This isn't right. like you know. Um, I think there's a comedic version of this that we've seen with like House Sitter or, you know, What's Up Doc and stuff like that, where it's just like, um, there's, you know, she's somebody who puts on these performances by trade or by living. And this is coming, this performance, this sort of, uh, improvisation role play is coming from seemingly a place of pain or regret or or anger even in her i think it's probably more pain and regret for a marriage that ended or or something or a marriage that is continuing that she is sad Mm -hmm. is dying you know um that is far more fascinating because then all of a sudden it's not just this superficial thing it is coming from her soul you know what i mean mm-hmm. and um this the moment in the coffee shop where he's telling the story of i you know had this room on the second floor of this hotel or apartment or office or whatever it was where i could look out onto the square and i could see this woman walking ahead of her son you know telling that story um and then later she saw them at the fountain and and the kid ran up to her and he's telling this story and now you're wondering is he oh and he's telling this story before the woman in the coffee shop mistakes them for married so if you take the story as that's the moment that they start pretending they're married this happens right. before that so this causes you to call that into question because he seems to be talking about her while saying he's talking about some woman that he saw and you cut to her and she's crying. She's not like sobbing, but she has like, there's a tear coming down her eye and, um, and he kind of reacts into that. Like, Oh, I'm sorry. And you wonder, is he sorry? Because he's telling this story and he's sort of like gone outside of the parameters of this, you know, improvisation that they're doing, or is he sorry because he brought up a memory of her that he didn't think was going to make her sad. But anyway, her face in that moment is so astoundingly beautiful, but also full of, these real conflicting emotions. Watching mm-hmm. her face in this movie is a real adventure. As I go, going back to that car ride, 
the quintessential the mo- Binoche performance. The micro expressions adventure. <laughs> in that car ride where she like you where you can try and tell what is it that he's saying is making her angry. What is it that he's saying is making her feel like flirty? You know what I mean? It's just like she goes into these different little micro expressions, and it's fascinating. Oh my god, absolutely incredible and. I guess if we can maybe dip a toe into the sort of awards conversation, she won Best Actress at Cannes. I understand Mm -hmm. why she wasn't in the Oscar conversation for, like, a lot of reasons. For one thing, it was not released until the following spring. Um, who, Who released it in the States? Uh, IFC slash Sundance Selects, which... If the if it had been a few years later, you know, when uh Cotillard is getting nominated for two days one night and right. Charlotte Rampling is getting nominated for forty five years, all from the same distribution model. Yeah. Uh, you know, there might have been a little bit more conversation. So this was a lot of like critical conversation getting uh towards her. I don't think we would really talk about uh, it, the international feature race because then we would be talking well I, I guess separate years this is also one of those times that this movie was probably a victim to this period of flux I would say for lack of a better word in the international feature category where you know movies that are international co-productions and they don't really know where they fall obviously Kiarostami is an Iranian filmmaker this movie shot in Tuscany in the right in, you well know, different euro production companies and because it doesn't release in the states until 2011 it i guess it could have been Iran's submission in 2010 or France's or France's submission in 2010 but like the fact that Iran in 2011 gets its second Oscar nomination ever, and then wins that year. Also kind of, you know, it it takes a little bit of the sting out of the fact that they wouldn't, you know... And Karastami, I think, had only ever... I think I wrote this in the notes, was only ever f- Iran's official submission for the Oscars one time. And for that which was... Movie? Definitely um, not Taste of Cherry. No, it was... Sorry, hold on. Da-da-da-da-da... Definitely. Um, I think it's through the olive trees, but hold on. I wrote this down. Only, no, no, yes. Only submitted as Iran's entry once in 1994 mm-hmm. through the olive trees, and it wasn't nominated. Iran has only been nominated three times ever for foreign language film. What first time was 1998? Uh, Majid Majidi's uh, Children of Heaven. Apologies if I mm-hmm. pronounced that name wrong. Um, which lost to Life is Beautiful, of all things. Um, and then Oscar Farhadi's two films, A Separation in 2011 and The Salesman in 2016, both of which won. So Kiristami is a major figure of what's known as the Iranian New Wave, which began as far back as the late 70s and sort of, or the late 60s. We moved through at least 70s, 80s, and 90s had like several waves to it, had several sort of, you know, movements to it, but is a a major figure of that movement. And you would imagine, and I'm not going to begin to presume to uh, be an expert in the Iranian new wave, which um, 
uh, is a sort of major movement in world cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but one imagines that the politics of Iran through that period of history were a lot to be navigated uh, during that time. We're also talking about... Look and, at the history of Jafar Panahi. And I was going to say, who Panahi, I believe, came up through working on Kiarostami's films. Um, uh, it was, by the way... Panahi, the, I believe, just recently got his complete freedom. Uh, I think that's right. Um, Oscar Farhadi was another uh, filmmaker who was... Uh, f- friends with Kiarostami, I believe. Um, But so this was a movement that began in the late 60s, moved through the 70s. Kiarostami's major films were in the 80s and 90s, and then, of course, obviously kept, you know, working um, up through to his death in 2016. Um, But he's a a major figure of of that, and only to be... uh, presented as Iran's official submission to the Oscars one time. We know from, you know, what we know of Panahi that like politics have become or, or that politics were a major issue. Um it's hard to imagine the Academy embracing at least the films of his that I I like Taste of Cherry when it won the palm. It was considered a very controversial winner. I tied the palm. I can't say more remember. about that. Say more about that. Why you know, controversial? It's now it's now, you know, considered for the masterpiece that it is. And I know at the time, I believe it was Roger Ebert had been a champion for it, or Roger Ebert had reassessed his original view of it or reassessed his can reception to it. Like it was a movie that was really booed at can like one of the classic can boo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like it is kind of the quintessential uh, a quintessential Kiarostami film in a way because it's the very it's got his trope of like the, the long car ride and you know methodical uh your contemplative uh walks through the countryside and such sure. but it is essentially a character it's about a mo- uh, who I- wants to commit suicide yes um basically recruiting someone to assist him uh and at the time, clearly, can audiences didn't get it. They didn't have the patience for it. They didn't understand the like emotional undercurrent that you know kind of carries the movie, or you know the political context in which it exists. And uh, now the movie is seen. It it's it's consider it's like kind of shocking when people hear. It's shocking to people who've seen the movie that they hear that this very, very sensitive, uh, emotionally astute movie was like vociferously booed at yeah. Cannes, and it's uh, palm win. I have to look up who was that jury president because I think somebody. Uh, it might be still just rumor. I I love nothing more than Cannes rumors, but that would have been nineteen ninety seven. Let me look that up. Isabella Johnny was the. Yes, uh, jury president. Jury president. I believe Mira Sorvino, Tim Burton, Mike Lee, uh, Nani Moretti, Gong Lee. That's an interesting uh, jury right there. Uh, and it, I, we should also say it tied the palm for the eel, which was also not a well received movie. It can, but uh, I can't credit the jury member because I can't remember who it is, but it might be this movie. I could be misremembering it for another movie 
that the jury, someone on the jury was like, history will not regard us well if we do not give this prize to this movie. Wow. Um, And I forget who it was. Tim Burton was also on that jury, and Tim Burton is on the jury at Cannes that gives Juliette Binoche... The jury president, uh, in fact. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that Palm winner was Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives. In, uh, and in I, it's not my pick for the Palm from that lineup, and I wouldn't take a Palm away from Abichabathong, uh, uh for the world. Though maybe if he doesn't have this Palm, he might have won the Palm for Memoria, and he would have deserved that as well. Yeah. Um, I've only seen about a quarter of this lineup. You watch Certified Copy, and like, yes, it's perfect to give it to Juliette Binoche, but it's like, this maybe also should have been a Palm winner. Like, you lo- So I, let's talk about that palm, that can lineup, because I was looking through this, and it does seem like it has fewer movies that um, uh, stick out to me, and even maybe fewer filmmakers with whom I'm familiar, which is why it's always so funny to see... Doug Lyman's Fair Game was in competition at Cannes. Um, and did not get received well. It um, didn't. It's not a bad movie, but it's not a really great movie. I think it's a fairly sort Cannes of Cannes usually movie. programs like uh, a straightforward thriller late in the festival. And I believe yeah. that that was late in the festival too. And like, this is not among the best of them. The, so, like, it usually has a slot like that for Mystic River, uh-huh. L. Uh-huh. Um, what was another recent one? I forget, but like that seems to be a staple of can movies from this can that that our listeners uh, may have heard of or be familiar with. Mike Lee's Another Year, which we've talked about. We talked about it on our 100 Years, 100 Snubs uh, miniseries. Uh, Alejandro Inarritu's Beautiful, which was an Oscar nomination for Javier Bardem and Best Actor. Um, Bardem wins Best Actor at this can uh, of Gods and Men, which was. Um, this was Francis' submission. Then. That was Francis' submission, and one director. It won a major prize. I feel like um, I think it won the Grand Prix. Uh, I think that's probably right. Um, uh, hold on, let me pull up this tab. Sure, Grand Prix. Uh, Sergei Loznitsa's uh, "My Joy" was a movie that I feel like I remember. Matthew Amalric won director, I think, for um, yes, on tour, which was yes. uh, tour- tournée. Um. Which is not a movie that I have seen. Uh, Lee Changdong's poetry was maybe my year. alternate for the palm. That's my favorite Lee Changdong movie. Is that it? I've never seen poetry, but of course Lee Changdong directed Burning, uh, which was uh, a tremendous, tremendous movie. Um, went unawarded at that can. One would imagine that uh, if Binoche had not won actress, that uh, Yoon Jung Hee would have been. A pretty major contender. I feel Incredible like the re- re- reviews for her performance are really good. Uh, Ken Loach had a movie called Route Irish uh, that year, um, but not a ton of other movies. Uh, if you go into In Certain Regard, uh, Blue Valentine was in that uh, lineup, um, kind of stands out from that group there. Um, so yeah, I remember Uncle <laughs> Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives, which is not a movie that I've seen, even though it is uh, a Great brisk movie. a brisk 114 minutes from uh, from uh, Where Seth Cool, which uh, is is not the case in some of his later movies. <laughs> um, 
it did lead to my very favorite trivia team name uh, ever that we ever did, which was Uncle Buck, who can recall his past lives, which <laughs> um, I will hold in my heart forever. Okay, uh, so the the rumor is, or I guess it's not rumor, because Tilda said this in an interview, she shot another movie with him in Sri Lanka, uh-huh. and it's apparently going to be like three hours long. If it's coming this year, it's my most anticipated movie of this year. Well, like, certainly. Period. I mean, period. Um, <laughs> on top of the Mike Lee, on top of the Mike Lee, whatever the Mike Lee is going to be. Of course. Listen, we know Mike Lee is going to going to bring in. He always does. Anyway, um, so obviously, the the buzz uh, garnered by Binoche winning Best Actress at Cannes. Um, it was her first Cannes win too, and like she was. She was kind of heavily predicted to win this Best Actress prize. You know, she uh, there was conversation around her having never won. Can always puts, you know, a famous actress on their poster, usually through like uh, one who is either not with us or not working. And she was the she was the actress on the poster. Yeah. And some people looked askance at, you know, her being on the poster while also having a movie in competition. Right. Uh, And then she won. Uh, but yeah, but it's you can't you can't fuck with the actual performance though is the thing. Like no, you cannot. That's that's the um, that's the real that's the bitch of it, I guess. Um, so Juliette Binoche as an actress. So uh, having listened to the beginning of uh, that screen drafts, I'm sort of at the risk of sort of repeating uh, what they said there in terms of her history. As an actress, throughout the 1980s, she works with some pretty like major filmmakers, uh, Jean-Luc Godard and Leos Carax, and then she's um, in a Philip Kaufman film in 1988 called The Unbearable Lightness of Being, got two Oscar nominations for screenplay and cinematography. She stars opposite Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, it is, uh, despite the fact that Philip Kaufman is not a Czech filmmaker, it is uh, a Czech film sort of part of that uh, country's um sort of uh, i don't know if they specifically had like a czech new wave but there was definitely like a movement within you know czech art and film uh during uh those time periods and then to me the first time i became aware of her although i didn't see this movie till till years later was in damage she plays the mm-hmm. woman who uh, uh jeremy irons has an affair with his son's uh fiance um and kind of a famously miserable experience for Binoche as well she hated working with both of them because they were awful louis mall and and jeremy irons, yes and she spends about? like a good portion of that movie naked yes with these two unbearable men she does um and uh, the Oscar nominee uh, nomination for that film goes to Miranda Richardson. I think highly Great. deserved. Um, if I haven't already clipped the "You Should Have Killed Yourself" uh, scene uh, from that movie, um, uh, I, I may do that again. Um, anyway, she, she and Jeremy Irons also have this very bizarre sex scene. Like it, it, it feels like the the precursor to the Showgirls pool sex scene in terms of its acrobatic uh-huh. yeah. silliness. Yeah. 
I think you're supposed to be. I liked. I like damage as a movie. I understand that. Like, uh, it it may not have been a great experience to film, but as a movie, I think it's. I think it's a successful one. Yeah, um, it's a, it's antiquated, but sure. Miranda yes. Richardson fully elevates that movie. Brings it. She's in then uh, Christoph Kislowski's Three Colors Blue, which was the first of that trilogy um that movie got i'm trying to think of uh i don't think it got an oscar nomination but it got nominated for uh best i believe red is the only one that did yeah um but it definitely got the ball ball rolling because didn't she win like national society or something for that movie Uh, she won um the Volpe Cup for Best Actress at Venice. One of only two actresses who has ever won Best Actress at the three major European film festivals. She also, somewhat surprisingly, I would say, given their tendency, was a nominee at the... Sorry, one second. I want to get this right. Yeah, she's nominated for the Golden Globe that year, which... Um, is somewhat surprising in that you would think That's that the Golden is. that the Golden Globes would have been would would be historically more friendly to foreign language performances because they are the Golden Globes, but uh, ironically they never have been. So um, she is one of four actresses to lose out to Holly Hunter's performance in The Piano. So that's a big one for her, and then. The next big movie for her after that is The English Patient, where she plays. Uh, Hannah, the uh, war nurse who nurses burnt up Rafe Fines back to uh, health, and she's a supporting performance in as much as her portion of the movie is less than the whole of that movie. Um, but while she's in that movie, she gets her own little sort of subplot with. Uh, um, oh, who the hell is it? Naveen Andrews? Naveen Andrews, right? So she gets, like, she's in her own little movie in that. She's basically she's the She's the protagonist of 45% of the movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I, I think if you had wanted to put her in lead, you very much could have. I think Kristen Scott Thomas, ironically, who did get the lead nomination, is, is a supporting is performance. Is a supporting performance. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, interesting, the politics of it. And you wonder if it just came down to Kristen Scott Thomas is an English-speaking actress, so she can probably campaign more successfully. Well, and uh, given how how competitive that Best Actress race was, and that's well, probably not a performance that wins, whereas Juliette Binoche is, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and it's Julia Binoche also wins Berlin for that. I should say that's her Berlin win for English Patient. Yes, the yeah. the tradition of I believe it would have been you know the type of thing that a movie opens in December and then ends up playing Berlin. Mm-hmm. The um, other actress who has the only other actress who has achieved that is Julianne Moore. There we go for Julianne Moore having won for the shared win for. Uh, the, hours, the hours, one can for Maps to the Stars, the same year that would be her Oscar year for Still Alice, and then one Venice for Far From Heaven. Amazing. I love that stat. Um, she obviously uh, very famously beats out Lauren Bacall for the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. 
well dressed as Count Chocula. Major upset. She also wins the title for chocolatiest cereal, and um, uh, that was truly an upset. Also, because the the cocoa puffs to uh, the cocoa puffs bird was right there. Everybody yeah. assumed. Um, so it's an upset. It's sort of for people, especially like me. I was sixteen years old and hadn't seen any of those European movies, and so I was like, "Who's this French lady?" coming in and also the the irony is i hadn't exactly like been raised on lauren bacall movies either so it's like i didn't really know all i knew is that everybody said that lauren bacall was gonna win and then she didn't and i was like this lady with her high count chocula collar um so fred and barney over at the cocoa puff or the cocoa pebbles (laughs) mansion are pissed that's true chocolate cereal would have been a competitive category that year you'd have fred and barney the the cocoa puffs toucan, um, the cookie crisp, uh, uh bandit. Not a lot of chocolate and cookie crisp. Well, that's though. why it didn't win, though, Chris. That's why this, every. That's you know, true. That's true. Lucky to be nominated. Lucky to be nominated. Fortunate, in fact. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I guess a special K uh, with chocolate. You know how like they do is have a special K. Oh yeah, the little chocolate chunks. In that it, yeah. that wouldn't come until later. So that's that cereal is so gross to me. Where they li- put literal chocolate chunks in there because just have a the chocolate cereal bar. gets soft or soft enough for chewing, and then you have to bite into this chunk of chocolate. Just have a chocolate bar, guys. It's gonna be fine. You won't. It won't kill you. All right. Anyway, though, so she follows that up a few years later with. A nomination for Lassa Hallstrom's Chocolat, which was another Miramax movie, which also, to me, who loved, at that moment, loved few actresses more than Renee Zellweger, and was really into Nurse Betty. So I was like, once again, here she comes, trudging down the lane with her basket full of what? Chocolate. Uh, Theme. We've got a theme here. Um... Uh, her audition to take away her to take away this nomination from Renee Zellweger, who at this point had never been nominated before. She had been passed over for Jerry Maguire, and so I was so mad at Juliette Binoche for like four straight years. And I'm trying to think of like <laughs> the aughts were a period of me coming to my senses, right? Where I never saw that John Borman movie in my country with its her and Samuel L. Jackson set in. Uh, South Africa. Have you ever seen that? No. Okay, neither have I. Um, so we'll, we'll pass that one by. She's in a movie, another movie that I didn't see in 2005 called Bee Season, opposite Richard Gere, which really is a we'll This Had Oscar Buzz title. Season. We, sh- we could and should, because that definitely had some... Uh, it was written by, written by Naomi Gyllenhaal, uh, Jake and Maggie's mom. Mm. But also that same year, she's in Michael Hanukkah's cachet, which rules, and she's so good in that. So that then is followed up by uh, Return to Working with Anthony Minghella for Breaking and Entering, an incredibly underrated movie. This Uh, movie I would love to do an episode on because I would like to see it. I don't think most people have heard of it, so I don't think it will be one of our most listened to episodes, but I think we should do it. Um, yeah. she's great. Jude Law is really great. Robin Wright is also in that movie. Um, Mingella's final movie. Yes. Cause he was working on something as a director. Died, right? yes. Yeah. 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 Um, what was the movie that he was working on that had to go to someone else when he died? Oh God. You asked me too quick. Um, hold on. Uh, bah, 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 bah. 
oh god and it's a good movie um and i think it went to somebody who would have been a better fit for anyway than him um yeah i don't know if you're listening to this and um, yeah yell at us well i guarantee you the second we hit stop on the recording it's gonna hit me yeah Um, yeah anyway um great movie breaking and entering she's great in it she's in um one of the short films in paris chatem uh which is not surprising considering she's one of the great french actresses she's in one of her oddest uh roles which is she's in dan in real life the uh, steve carell rests his head on a plate of pancakes movie um playing the woman who comes between naturally Steve Carell and Dane Cook. That is the most instinctive <laughs> casting you could possibly imagine, uh, Dan, in real life. Binoche in American cinema is always kind of fascinating because sometimes it's just like, well, what are you doing here? What, 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 you are better than this. Yeah. Uh, but then sometimes she'll do great things, or, and sometimes she will do sometimes great, sometimes awful things like The Staircase. I loved the staircase. You know, I did. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I, I there did. was good stuff in there, and not just the scene where it, it, it face first into uh, uh, the derriere of one Tony Collette. <laughs> um, uh, could not believe what I was seeing. Listen, the bravery of those two. The actors. bravery. The bravery. No, I Colin like... Firth. I should make clear it's Colin Firth doing that, not Juliette Binoche. No. That would be excellent television. Juliette Binoche. I will say the, the staircase is not as a show I really liked. Is not perfect. And one of the things I probably would have uh, changed is I think it like lingers a little bit too long on the relationship between Colin Firth and Juliette Binoche, making it the very rare thing that I think would be improved by having less Juliette Binoche, which sounds insane. Right. Um, did you ever see the Amoskatai uh movie Disengagement? Did not. Did you ever see the uh uh How Hashem Flight um, of the Red Balloon? Yes, yes, I've seen that. Okay, talk I've about that, that movie. Beautiful movie. Talk about it. Uh I don't know if I have much to say about her in that movie. She's um, on the poster looking blonde, blonde, blonde. Very and, blonde, 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 blonde. Uh wrangling a I child. I would maybe have more to say about her. Uh, performance in the next year, which is Summer Hours, a movie that I absolutely love. Olivia Essayas's Summer, Summer Hours. She's great in that. She's that is a movie where you talk about a movie where like Juliette Binoche gets prickly every you know three to five minutes. <laughs> um, that is definitely one of them. Flight of the Juliet Red Balloon. Binoche I just did want to say, sobbing. Yeah, Flight of the Red Balloon wins the award for movie title that sounds most likely to have been a 1950s movie instead of. Uh, well, it's based off of the Red 2007, Balloon, or well, it's like a riff on the Red Balloon. Well, there we go. Um, I did not see Dito Montiel's "The Son of No One," where she gets the with credit with Juliette Binoche and Al Pacino, and I haven't seen that movie. What the hell's going on? That's one of those. Uh, many Dito Montiel Channing Tatum movies when he was playing uh, Street Toughs a lot, <laughs> uh, which before we knew that he was made for other things. Um, she's in David Cronenberg's Cosmopolis. I don't like David Cronenberg's Cosmopolis. Weird movie. I wish I liked it. I'm trying to remember who she plays in that. She's She's his wife, right? No, Sarah Gadden is his wife. She's the woman who he sleeps with, though. Right? 
Maybe. She's not the one that, like, fingers him or gives him a rectal exam. No. That, I think, is Emily Hampshire. No? Maybe. Or Samantha Morton? I don't know. Listener, listeners are like, what the hell is this movie? You'd, uh, by, uh, by that conversation, you would think it's a really good movie. It, it's one of those... It is, unfortunately, does not work. It's one of the... That and... Um, what the fuck is the uh, Noah Baumbach movie from, last, from two years ago? That I'm like, I don't get Don DeLillo, maybe. And maybe that's <laughs> White okay. Noise. White Noise. White um, Noise, also a movie that does not work. Yeah. Okay. So... We're moving on through the 20, 2010s. Uh, the 2014 double feature of Godzilla and Clouds of Sils Maria is one of those high-low <laughs> art things that will be uh, uh, talked about and discussed. Um, it really feels like the shitty movie that she's like making or talking about in Clouds of Sils Maria is informed by her experience filming Godzilla, a movie that she shows up in only to immediately die. I like Gareth Edwards' Godzilla a lot. Me too. I don't think she's Me in too. the parts of the movie that would make you think that it's a good movie, though. So. It is a, it is, it is a demerit on the movie that she is cast in that role Agreed. because it's just like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting her time? Agreed. Like, though, I mean, maybe it's supposed to be like Juliette Binoche shows up and dies, and it's supposed to add emotional gravitas to it because right. of the surprise of Juliette Binoche doing it. Right. If that's the case, it doesn't work. Um, 2017 and 2018, she's in back-to-back Claire Denis movies, and I'm going to give you the floor to talk about Let the Sunshine In and High Life. Uh, okay. So, High Life, where she basically plays... She, she calls herself at one point the Shaman of Sperm, she is a uh, prisoner slash mad scientist in space. She goes into something called the fuck box where she unleashes her braid and has sex with some type of machine. It's an incredible performance. Uh, hope she keeps working with Claire Denis if Claire Denis makes many more movies. Do you think Claire However, Denis allowed her to keep the long-ass ponytail braid that she has in God, that I movie? I hope so. I hope so. Um, that she just has it in her home somewhere behind a glass door. And, in a closet. And, yeah. You know, like yeah. in a fuck box. In a box. fuck box, yeah. Okay. Um, however... Her performance in Let the Sunshine In, I said earlier, Catch Me on the Right Day, it's my favorite performance of hers. Yeah. It is, like, it's a romantic comedy in the way that any Claire Denis movie is its that, genre. You keep in saying it's, it's like, a romantic comedy, and I'm like, but Claire Denis directed it, and you're like, yes. And I'm like, okay. Exactly. Because, <laughs> like, High Life is a Claire Denis science fiction movie. I know. And I didn't like it. But it's it. a Claire Denis <laughs> science fiction yeah. movie. So yeah. Let the Sunshine In, it's like, you yeah. know, it's basically this woman's romantic adventures over a set, uh, or uh, misadventures, maybe. Uh, over a certain set of time and, you know, the ebbs and flows of her romantic hope, basically. Yeah. And, like, everything that we've said about her performance style is basically center stage here. It's a movie that had to grow on me on uh, over time, uh, as Claire Denis movies often do for people, but this one for me, I came out of that movie, I was like, yeah, a good movie. Yeah. And as I sat with it, and as I revisited it, I was like, oh no, this is like one of Claire Denis' best movies. Like, 
Yeah. Absolutely just like the depth of feeling and her unique access into what she's trying to achieve with this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think maybe the best that she has ever understood her key performer's screen persona and used it to the means of what the movie is trying to achieve. Uh, Let the Sunshine In is great. And I think it's like 80 minutes or so. It's a short movie. Can't beat that. Uh, That is, I think, incredible. So from there, Binoche sort of stars in a series of movies that are uh, sort of all-time great sort of world cinema uh, directors in in projects that are not their most high-profile or well-received. You've got right. uh, Olivier Assayas's nonfiction, Hirokazu Koreeda's The Truth, and Claire Denis. Which we talked again. about a lot last week. Yeah. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago for listeners. Uh, she plays... Uh, uh, Catherine Deneuve's daughter in that. Um, And then Claire Denis again for a movie called Both Sides of the Blade that didn't really... (laughs) Claire Denis maybe best, uh, most well, uh, not well regarded, but like best received high profile movie that nonetheless I think is not her best. (laughs) And like, I I don't know about most high profile either because like, I feel like that movie kind of went... Yeah, but Claire Denis, like, won, what was it she won in that Berlin? I think she won Best Director, or maybe she got their Grand Prix. It it wasn't the Golden Lion. Um, But yeah. Interesting. Very shot in COVID. Um, Um, And then this year, she's uh, in The Taste of Things for uh, director Tranan Hong. it was a can movie. It was very, very well received at Cannes, although I don't think it won any. Did it win? It won director. It won director. Okay. Well, then, very good. Then, uh, then I'm mm-hmm. incredibly wrong. Um, She's she, wonderful in the movie. She She's plays absolutely wonderful. A, sh- a, a chef um, who. She's, she's what? She's the. She's working beneath the sort of executive. Uh, chef, right? That's the they have She's, this. I believe hierarchical. I, I haven't seen this movie for months. But professional was, relationship. Yeah, it's a professional romantic relationship in this very French house restaurant type of thing, where he is, for lack of a better term, executive chef, whereas she is chef. She does all. She's the cooking, done the. She does, does the work. Like the she's meal. the talent. He's like a restaurateur. And she's doing know, the actual, making the actual Contemporary food. verbiage type of thing. But it's a really lovely romance between them that is, is you know, it's, it's a talky romance where they sort of talk out, you know, their, uh, they talk their way through it and... It's not not a vibes movie. It's not Listeners not a vibes movie. We'll also finally be able to see this movie because there are so many. I don't scenes... know what the plan is, but IFC said that it's wide releasing wide on Valentine's Day. Here's what I'm going to say. Gonna Here's the uncomfortable truth of it is, is that like the game's already over. They can release it however they want to. Unfortunately, we are past the point of it being a film in the conversation of 2023, and now we're going to have to talk about it as. You missed this movie. You need to go back and see this movie. And yeah, we could be talking about. I mean, I feel I still think that there's a chance that it is an inter- at this as point. We're the li- nominations as we're will already as people are listening to this. Yeah, yeah. But like when we had gotten this on the docket, you know, I for I forget. 
yeah. when uh, Peter gave uh, his submission or Peter gave the submission for the episode because we were like, oh, well, maybe Juliet Binoche is going to get some traction because yeah. earlier on in the season, you know, before precursor nominations and such. Yeah, it seemed like it could happen. It, it seemed like it was in the cards, but I just don't think IFC has had the infrastructure to make it happen, which is. When listeners see the movie, they will get it. That, like, if Focus had had this movie, if Searchlight had had this movie, it would be getting multiple nominations, and possibly for Binoche. Yes. Yeah. And she's being campaigned and supporting, I would argue it's a lead performance. That's, that's the other part of it, is that there's there wasn't entirely... We won't really say why, but, like... Yeah. It's a great movie, though. Uh, if you have a chance to see it in a theater, uh, really try and do that. If not, um, see it when you can. I also want to say, of her upcoming movies, the one I want to mention is a movie called The Return, which is being directed by Uberto Pasolini, starring... It's a First of all, it's, a, it's an adaptation of The Odyssey, which, um, fantastic. Where uh, she plays Penelope, and in the role of Odysseus... It is Ray Fiennes. So it is an English patient reunion of Juliet Binoche and Ray Fiennes. Also in that movie is uh, baby boy Charlie Plummer, who, um, you know, I'm a lean on Pete person. <laughs> so um, uh, good for and that. But it is uh, also in this telling, apparently Odysseus is covered in burns and Penelope just reads to him the whole time. Is <laughs> perfect. Is perfect. Um, uh, I love it. Uh, so we are very, very excited for, uh, for that reunion. I don't think they had, had they been in anything together since then? I don't. Uh, that seems conceivable. It does seem conceivable, but I'm going to look that up right now while you talk about something else. Um, I think, uh, you know, somewhat as we begin to wrap things up, we could talk about can acting winners who have gone on to Oscar nominations. Say it. Sing it, sister. Since 1990, there have only been 10. This is why, you know, maybe we shouldn't take as much credence to can acting wins. Sure. As we could to, like, Palm wins or Grand Prix wins. Sure. Uh, From most recent to 1990, you have Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Rooney Mara for Carol, Bruce Dern for Nebraska, Jean Dujardin for The Artist, Penelope Cruz with a huge asterisk on it because they gave it to the full female ensemble for Volver, Javier Bardem for Beautiful, Christoph Waltz for Inglorious Bastards, Brenda Blethyn for Secrets and Lies, Holly Hunter for The Piano, and Gerard Depardieu for Cyrano. Now, two of those were also at the... Can I think, has unofficial rules that you give the palm to something you can't give you give you give the palm and i think grand prix you can't give it any other prizes mm-hmm. right. so you know the brenda bleth and holly hunter ones you can kind of wonder like was that also aided by the palm win those were also just huge movies um yeah but yeah so can not necessarily a translation into oscar acting in the way that we might think. That said, and some of though, it is they're recognizing global cinema 
that may not get distribution in the U.S. They're recognizing global cinema. It also does help to introduce a a, a name into the American sort of cinematic uh, milieu that hadn't really been there before. You look at somebody like Brenda Blethyn or Christophe Waltz mm-hmm. or Jean Dujardin, and these are people who, like, yes, we would have gotten those movies. We would have certainly gotten Inglorious Bastards. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a an acclamation to you know new people from foreign lands that American, I think, what, and American audiences. And I'm not just talking about like you know Joe Lunchpail. It's like you know American cinephiles can also have their walls up in terms of you know uh, familiarity, right? Where mm-hmm. they want movies by their American filmmakers and with their American stars. And it helps to have vectors through which other performers and other filmmakers can poke through. And I do think that the can winners are able to, that is a way in which you can do that. And so um, I think that does help. It doesn't always, but it can. I think it can also elevate a performer uh-huh. to a certain uh, stature and perception. I'm mm-hmm. especially thinking of Kirsten Dunst uh, winning for Me- Melancholia. Totally. 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 Yep. Did Kristen Stewart ever win a performance award at Cannes? No. It does seem like... I don't think she's had that many movies at Cannes. At least in competition. Yeah, because there's right crimes of the future, clouds of Sils Maria, which she won a Cesar for. Personal Shopper was not a can movie. Yes, okay. but that one director, right? God, she's so good in that movie. She really is. She's really tremendous in that movie. Um. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um. It's an interesting list. You're totally right in that. It also sort of shows you that, like, especially when you get into people like Holly Hunter for the piano, or um you know, a Christoph Waltz for Inglorious Bastards, the reach that some of these performances, you know, get. And the steamroll starts early. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of that's sort of what I'm thinking. Um uh, going all the way back to Sally Field and Norma Ray, which I think she she like I think her one brag in her memoir is she wins Best Actress at Cannes and then wins every american prize yeah from there on yeah like i don't think that's a stat that's ever been challenged it's a pretty good one um but i think she i don't i she she says something to that effect in the book and when i looked it up i'm pretty sure it's true yeah the other thing that a can win can do is and i'm thinking specifically about antonio banderas and pain and glory is Mm -hmm. it can recontextualize a performance and sort of give permission for the American awards apparatus to start churning for someone where mm-hmm. you looked ahead and it's like, well, it's an Almodovar movie. So it's like, it's not like Antonio Banderas has never done one of those before. And so there's a temptation maybe sometimes to just sort of like, let that sit in that box and stay over there in, you know, or, you know, away from Oscar. And I think well, if he's winning the Cannes Prize for Best Actor, then this is special. So we can we can fire up that awards machine back in Los Angeles and 
you know, see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I wish it had happened for Kochi Yukusho this year. For what? Sorry. Oh, for uh, Perfect Days. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's uh, it's more of a challenge, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a way in which they could have done that campaign. This whole like, you don't know this guy, but he's huge in Japan and it's time to get to know time to get on board. You're already I, I also expected them to put more oomph into that movie and not make it a qualifying release. Yeah, there's a few but... there's 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 a lot of movies this year that I really I'm I've got some some thoughts on the axes ways. to grind, not axes to grind necessarily, but just like we could have maybe gone another way. I don't know. Um, I just saw the tweet before we started recording that, uh, as predicted, the iron claw is the sixth highest grossing a 24 movie. Uh, also Adele's favorite film of 2023. Okay, talk about that. This is the <laughs> go off queen. The, the TikTok that Chris sent me minutes before we started recording where it's Adele at a concert, just sort of bantering with the audience, and she says, you know what my favorite movie of the year was? The Iron Claw. And, and do you know, I love my, my Adele impersonation. You do it better than me, but you refuse to do it. That's fine. Um, uh, I don't know. She thinks uh, uh, Zac Efron is amazing. <laughs> Uh, she's, I mean, I think she's right. It's about about family wrestlers. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I love, and the second I listen to it, I go, she's a member of the Academy, right? Because like, (laughs) that's one, that's one vote down. Put your vote behind it. Um, let's get behind Adele. All right. We'll see. Anything else we want to say about certified copy? I feel like because we're talking about a movie that's a masterpiece. Yeah. And we tend to talk a decent we've done a decent amount of 2011 movies that I think we would yes. really really go to bat for. Margaret, Young Adult. It's given us a lot of opportunity to talk about how shitty we think the 2011 Oscars were. <laughs> honestly. Like famously weak best picture lineup um Famously frustrating. Which I erroneously said that I was a Moneyball voter on our Scorsese draft, forgetting that this is the Tree of Life year. I used to be a Moneyball voter. At the time, I was a Moneyball voter. I'm a Tree of Life voter. Are you a Tree of Life voter? We all know. It sounds like I'm being facetious, but uh, I am not. My my absolute earnest and genuine vote is for Warhorse in that lineup, and I do think it's the best of those ten. So... Uh, here we are. It was at nine. That was the first year that it went back to nine. The surprise nine, because Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close had the the special yeah. little space yeah. above Jennifer Lawrence's head. Okay. Um, so I thought it would be fun, instead of once again ragging on the 2011 Oscars, even though we just did, um, to talk about what other movies from that year we would have championed. And we've both come with some really good and interesting ones. I'm going to start with... Joe Wright's Hana, which was the movie that convinced me that Sir Ronan was going to be a thing moving forward. Like, was it wasn't just going to be this like, oh, remember that little girl who got nominated when she was a kid for Atonement, right? Like, 
this kind of locked it in where I was like, oh shit. And it's, it's, it's maybe the movie that gets talked about least in the Joe Wright oeuvre, even the movies that like, we don't want to talk about like Pan and the soloist almost get brought up more because they are exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. And like, nobody talks about how good Hana is as a movie. I and should rewatch it too, because it is so fun. It's a hoot and a half. Tom Hollander is so fun. Kate Blanchett is like literally picking her teeth with the scenery in this movie. <laughs> and um she's flossing with Sersha's hair. Like the fight scenes are amazing. The Chemical Brothers score is so much banger. fun. It's a banger. real banger. So good. So good. Um yeah, I love it. It's great. I would love to see Joe Wright work in this mode again at some point and yes. Um, I think that would be super, super fun. You could give Joe Wright a James Bond movie. Like, why don't they actually? Like, not a bad idea. Because his movies haven't made money, probably. Yeah, but great way to turn that around is to give him a James Bond movie. Um, right. All right. right. What was one of the ones that you you had picked? Uh, I mean, I think this is the easiest uh, one for listeners to expect me to say. Uh, A movie I love is D. Reese's Pariah. What about Pariah? What about Pariah? What about Adepero Duye? Um, a movie we could do an episode on, we haven't yet. Uh, so maybe I'll save, like, real thoughts on that. But, like, you know, uh, I think at that time, a lot of it got reduced to, you know, Adepero Duye's um, performance and not to, you know, discredit her performance in any way. I think she's great. I think as an ensemble movie mm-hmm. and a movie about friendship and uh, etc. I think there's a lot to discuss in that movie that still hasn't been unpacked. I love that movie. Yeah. What's D. Reese working on now? Oh, there is something something, coming. I just forget what it is. We we should also do the last thing he wanted uh, for no excuse. Anonymous cinema. And be like, (laughs) what what happened here? (laughs) Anonymous cinema at the most anonymous uh, Sundance. That was the Sundance right before everything fell apart, right? I think so. And they buried that movie in the Sundance lineup. Cause that was, that was like one of those things that it premiered after most of the press is gone. Right. And it's like, we know what that means. Oh, you know what? I then knew I had seen her name in something. She's one of the directors who's directing episodes of that, this Apple TV series, masters of the air. That's about to premiere. Do you know about this thing? Oh, right. Where it's Austin Butler. Uh, I talk to people who have seen it and like it. I like, I've seen the first episode. It looks really good. And like, it's Austin Butler and Callum Turner, but like Barry Keoghan's in this and they're all, you know, (laughs) they're all playing, uh, these sort of like American flyboys, which I think is very interesting. Um, especially when it comes to Callum Turner and Barry Keoghan. I've only seen him in the previews for the next movie. But he is doing an accent, kids. Like he is Go coming on. in like like uh Jimmy Cagney or something. It's kind of amazing. Um, but the episodes look really, really tremendous. And the directors that they have lined up, um, because it's not just D. Reese, it's also give me a second. Um come on. Oh god, Amazon, just or not Amazon, IMDB. Um because the first several episodes are all directed by Carrie Fukunaga, of course, but De Reese is directing a couple episodes and um someone else as well. But anyway, 
Uh, I'm interested to make my way through that series. Uh, D. Reese is an incredible director. I also wanted to bring up uh, a couple filmmakers who had films this year, which I really liked, um, but had great movies in 2011. Kelly Records, Meek's Cutoff, and Andrew Hayes' Weekend, which that was, of course, like the big breakthrough. I keep saying that I want to do an Andrew Hay marathon one weekend where I just watch all of his stuff sort of back to Where you just emotionally abuse yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, right yeah but um uh including like maybe even throw the looking movie into that as well and just sort of like do it all up um meek's cutoff is a movie that kind of gets left off of the kelly reichardt discussion a lot and it does and it's a real accomplishment like it's a real Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people sort of had struggled with how um still (laughs) that movie can be um, sort of even just like literally still where it's just there. A lot of the movie is them being like, no, we're not going to go anywhere until we talk out where we're going. And it's <laughs> a lot of like struggle with that. But Michelle Williams is great. Paul Dano is great. Um, yeah, everyone in that cast is great. That Do we think that's where Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan met? I have no, I, I'm not sure. Um, All right. E- even Zoe the, Kazan, like, let us know. Write us in and let us know. Uh, <laughs> we would love to. We would love to hear it. Um, we love you. Yeah, I would even say the Michelle Williams <clears throat> Kelly Reichardt uh, partnership. It still gets under discussed. Yes, and maybe because this is more in that context. You know, this is more of an ensemble movie. Um, Showing up is one of my like lurking on the outer edge of my like top. 15 top 20 put it in your 10 top 10 is a real is a real competitive uh 10 this year it deserves it it deserves it it's It's in my top 10 it's really good you know i love it you know i love hong chow in it especially as um, you have time though you have time because i do i've got another month you you don't do yours until the blankies yeah 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 it's true uh other ones that i would call out um very me pick, but Bertram Bonello's House of Tolerance. I don't know I'm, very I'm much like, about House of Tolerance, so I want you to talk about it. I hadn't bit. seen it until last summer, uh-huh. I think. Uh, a, a friend really, really was selling me on it, and oh boy, I was into it. It is definitely a wavelength movie if you do, and most people are not on the wave. What's the like capsule movie. premise? It is like kind of a semi-anachronistic view of a, I believe, Victorian-era French brothel. Mm -hmm. Um, Very vibesy. I thought it was fantastic and amazing. I I seem to be pro-Bonello on movies. I got to see that movie that you liked at at TIFF. uh... Trust and believe you may hate it because I What's it called again? (laughs) The Beast. The Beast. Uh, the Beast opens in April. All right. Um, I loved that movie, and a lot, a lot of people, people did not. really <laughs> hated it. Um, uh, so I maybe I just like Bonello. Yeah. Um, and then two other movies that we could do episodes on: uh, Take Shelter and Contagion. Contagion. Uh, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to see Contagion. After are, are we far enough? Removed I think we're far we enough. We might be far enough removed. Uh, and take shelter, like also being in the mass of uh Jessica Chastain movies that all came out at once, right? Um, but also I would. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I'd probably argue as my favorite Jeff Nichols movie. Oh, see, and I was a little bit underwhelmed by it, and I would like to see it again to see if my thoughts have changed. 
Um, my other one that I threw on there, and we we should do an episode on this too, is uh, we need to talk about Kevin, which I still think is uh, just a tremendous Tilda Swinton performance. I know that talking about Ezra Miller is not the most appealing notion these days, but um, at some point we'll need to do that one because it did come, I would say, pretty close to getting uh, uh, Tilda Swinton and Best Actress nomination. Listen, Jennifer Lawrence is about to work with Lynn Ramsey, so maybe it'll be time for us to maybe. to talk about Lynn Ramsey. Maybe. The one Lynn, Ram- Lynn Ramsey movie that you like. Yes, actually, yeah. Well, have you seen Ratcatcher? No, I have not seen Ratcatcher. I should try. I guess I don't I'll, love I should Rat try Ratcatcher the way people love Ratcatcher, but I love. I really. I was so. I just assumed that I was going to walk out of Morvern Collar being like on top of the world, just absolutely like screaming to the hills about how I loved it, and I was so vexed by the fact that it just absolutely missed me. And I'm wondering whether I should give it another shot because it's not like I hate. It's not like I. You were never really here. Was a perf- was an experience where I was just like, I don't want to be in this environment anymore. Whereas, like mm-hmm. Morvern Collar, I was just like, what am I missing? And and I might try give that another shot. So, one of my favorite movies of the aughts. Uh, love Morvern Collar. All right. Um, I'm gonna dip into. What my- else do we have to say about Certified Copy other than if this is one that listeners haven't seen? Definitely seek it out. Allow it to rewire your brain as you're watching it. Here's one thing I wanted to ask you. The scene with the coffee shop lady, right before William Schimmel comes back inside. And then suddenly they're married. Right. Um, she approaches the table. Her back, the camera is, is on her back. We don't hear what she says to Binoche. What do you think that was? I mean, I don't, I'm happy to not know. No, I, like I, 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 I guess I'm not saying what do you think it was, but like, what, what's the purpose of that? What's the like, is it just another element of mystery? Is it just another element of, we don't know, you know, sort of like uh, cinematic too... fairy dust kind of a thing where it's like, now everything is different. As a viewer, I may be, like and i say this as you know i'm saying this is is a fault of mine i'm maybe too willing to just accept that as mystery okay i don't want to disagree i don't want to have a fight (laughs) when you say that the implication is that i am not willing to accept something as a mystery and i but um, what i'm saying by saying that is not one of my good traits is that you are normal (laughs) and i am not because, like, I'm uh, happy to you know, accept something any, as a mystery, any, but I want to, like, at least talk about the mystery of it. I want to sort of, sure, like, sure. Um, I mean, yes, she could be. I mean, I almost kind of want to believe, uh, like, is it something that she says about, like, about... marriage that, like, really, like, freaks Binoche out? Or, like, is it something wise? Is it something, like, I'm so curious. I'm so curious. Sure. I, well, and because there is such a shift, there's a shift after that conversation, but there's really a shift when they leave. Yeah. So, uh, and, and like the idea that I was talking earlier that like so much of this is also about projection. Yeah. That 
whatever this woman says does cause a shift in their conversation. Uh-huh. Or maybe she tells her some type of secret that she knows about him or noticed that she might not have noticed. Like, right. oh, he was, he couldn't take his eyes off you, something. I don't know. Right, right. right. Um, I love her. I love that character so much. I really do. <laughs> I think what needs to happen is you need to open your own coffee shop and become this woman. Okay. Twist my arm. Twist my arm to, like, have me open a coffee shop and just, like, do that for the rest of my life. Like, okay, <laughs> will do. Um, uh, Imagine just, like, running a coffee shop in Tuscany and just watching the people sort of cycle in and out on their little living their little lives and some of them are tourists and some of them are regulars and what a life all right i do want to talk a little bit about the like semi fourth wall breakingness of these straight on shots that happen at the that begin at the restaurant mm-hmm. that feel so intense that intensifies this feeling of the shot in the wine bar is the one i always think of is after he leaves in a huff and she is looking dead at the camera, and you know she's not acknowledged, you know, like, but like it comes very close to feeling like she's about to actually break the fourth wall. And what she's actually doing is she sees through the window the married couple. Yeah, when she waves to the married couple, and like you think that she's waving to the audience, like, look what I can do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I love it because it's it's this. I mean, I already called it, you know, intense, but it's an intensification of this feeling, this like, you know, where you feel like your brain is spaghetti tangled in a knot in the movie. And it's like it ties it tighter, you know, where you really can't. The the, like storytelling effect of that is that it's more displacing so that you as an audience really can't wrap your head around all of it. All right, uh, everybody stop your walking tour of uh, beautiful little museums and shops in Tuscany because it's time for your Vulture Fantasy Movie League update. We are... Suddenly, we are married. <laughs> Suddenly, or are we? Husband and wife. Or are we? We have a child that we're arguing about. Uh, debate in the comments. Um, anyway, we are also sort of suddenly kind of in the... Uh, we're closer to the Oscars than... It seemed to be like for for so long it was like oh my god the Oscars aren't until March tenth like it's so long it's so still far. a month away my dude I know but like but as I'm counting down I'm like that's four weekends and I'm like ticking them away and like one of them Super Bowl weekend and one of them is you know uh, I guess now that I have assignments due before the Oscars it's seeming like less time where it's just like oh shit um, one month yes it's it's a long time and yet. It's not. When you boil it down to four weekends, it's not so long of a time. So, um, so anyway. these Vulture Movie Fantasy League updates will be uh, a little quieter. Well, for the next couple briefer. weeks, and then I, things will start to ramp back up. You'll get your um, PGA, DGA, of course. The big points, you know, occasions to come will be the SAG Awards and the BAFTAs, and then. Oscar night, uh, well, the Independent Spirit Awards as well, um, and then Oscar night sort of 
I remember last year when the Independent Spirit Awards came, and it was like everything everywhere all at once was already just like creaming the competition by that point. Mm-hmm. It was totally did not need to have another dominant day at the Independent Spirit Awards, but like boy, did it happen. So I, you will not have that happen this year. You will not have, um, Oppenheimer steamrolling the Independent Spirit Awards. So that is at least something <laughs> where you'll get some different things. Um, I haven't thought about the Independent Spirit Awards for a while. What are like, I'm going to pull that up for like half a second. Uh, allow me to digress because. Well, um, uh, or also known as the Film Twitter People's Choice Awards, since everybody <laughs> pays to vote for these things. All right. Um, um, sorry to be the fly in the ointment again about the Indie Spirit Awards. Always. You're such a bummer about these things. Um, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So, okay. So, of the best feature nominees, the only best picture nominees there are American Fiction and Past Lives. So, you, I would bet I could see a world in which past lives sort of just, like, knocks everything out, right? At the Independent Spirit Awards, that seems like... That's the world that I think we're living in. I think that's probably true. Um, I think you're probably looking at, I mean, probably frontrunners and best feature, Celine Song and best director, probably... Well, okay, so lead performance, readily past lives, but also, like, I could see Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction getting something there. Andrew Scott and all of us strangers, Natalie Portman. This is kind of the 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 me, the me choice awards, because it's like these are all the people that I was like, oh my God, these people should have been nominated at the Oscars. Natalie Portman, Andrew Scott. Um and then in supporting the only Oscar nominees there are uh Sterling K. Brown. Remember when Sterling K. Brown got nominated at the Independent Spirit Awards and we we're like, oh, different. The, she's different. <laughs> and now um now he's an Oscar nominee. Very the same. But like this does seem to be the one area in where the Oscars will overlap because Divine Joy Randolph hasn't lost anything yet, and I don't expect her to lose this. And Paul one. Giamatti is not nominated or is nominated? Is not nominated. Yeah. So yeah. um uh, although, uh, yeah, both Divine Joy Randolph and then Dominic Sessa is nominated in Breakthrough Performance, which he will probably win. Although, Lord knows, a Marshawn Lynch insurgency would delight and tickle <laughs> me. So, um, screenplay, Get I think you're probably... Film, film Twitter, People's Choice Award winner voters. Yeah. Screenplay, I think you're also probably looking at past lives, Celine Song, but I would not be shocked if Cord Jefferson wins for American Fiction. Or David Hemmingson for the holdovers. Um, so there's a little bit of um, uh, competition there. I think best first feature is going to be the Chris File moment, where 1001, I think, does end up winning. And yeah. first first screenplay will be May-December. We'll be saying any prizes for Any prizes for Davine are not not Chris file moments. So Well that's true, but it's just, just like I think I think you have had to share Davine Joy Randolph with the world. I think I don't Davine Joy Randolph is no longer your own. I think she's she belongs to us all now. So um uh you've had to relinquish that. Anyway, the point how did we get into this? Oh, that like there's there's a few more big sort of ceremonies before it's good that we're talking about the Indie Spirit Awards because the Indie Spirit Awards are still the day before the Oscars, or did that no, change? They moved. No they moved okay. to the to to a week before. I think but now I'm it sure might even be the bigger the bigger headlines of yeah. the week that those happen will probably be a bigger award show like SAG or BAFTA. They've actually moved it even further now. They're two weeks ahead. So the, right now, the weekend before the Oscars 
is a barren wasteland. So like everybody can like take their breath. Like yeah, give everyone a nap. The SAG Awards and the Independent Spirit Awards are on the same day. And then it's nothing until, well, it's PGA's the day after that. And then nothing for two full weeks until the Academy Awards. So listen, between Indie Spirit Awards and SAG being on the same day, only one of them will have a Lifetime Achievement Award for Miss Barbara Streisand. This is true. This is true. Actually, let me double check this because I have that written down. And now I'm seeing that the Independent Spirit Awards are on February 25th, which is Joe, I'm also reading the Movie Fantasy League fine print, and it says any Lifetime achievements that go to Barbara are an automatic thousand-point bonus to me. Weird. Why would I have put that in? I don't know if I would have wanted to give you such an advantage that way. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wrong. The SAG Awards are on the 24th, and the Independent Spirit Awards are on the 25th. Still, though, there's nothing for for two weeks before the Oscars. So Um, it feels like a lot of time to... um, I don't know. Spin our wheels. <laughs> they're they're basically like go get COVID, heal up, go to the Oscars. Okay, perhaps that's not wrong. Perhaps that's not a bad idea. Although the Independent Spirit Awards famously are under a tent on a or at least historically had been under a tent in a parking lot in Santa Monica. Yeah, I think they might have moved that. Man, nothing's good like it used to be, Chris. What the fuck? Um anyway, uh in terms of box office this weekend, as you are listening to this, the new box office for the new weekend, Wonka has indeed surpassed $200 million. I said, I sort of mused this idly in my newsletter last week. I think next season, I want to do a $200 million, $150 and $200 million bonuses, just because it's weird. It's that, harder like, to once, get to those. Yeah. Posts anyway. And once you hit $100 million, um there's nothing for you after that. Like, it, there's essentially no difference between Wonka and Aquaman, and that feels like wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it feels right. like um, one should be more valued than the other. Also, uh, hitting 100 million, although it didn't last week. Um, migration, man. Like those Illumination movies make money. Like they, they make always money do. And make no Oscar nominations. Well, uh, I, I. I wonder which one <laughs> they would rather. <laughs> um, American Fiction finishes in the top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, these are the sort of like post nomination uh, bumped into the uh, into theater. So American Fiction did that. Zone of Interest did that. Um, Poor Things did that and had like a nice little bump last week, and now. I don't see. Uh, am I missing them on the chart? Uh, it doesn't look like that's been per the numbers. Maybe they have. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're checking. We're recording this Four on Sunday morning. Has not been crushing it at the box office. Though. They had a good week last week, though. They expanded and they they finished in the top five. So um, they had a good week last week. But um, they're certainly doing better than it seemed like they were doing a month ago. I will say. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So. That's sort of where we're at with the uh, the Fantasy League. Chris, in the newsletter last week, I did a section on the sort of best value picks, the top 10 movies that gave you the most points per dollar based on what they cost to purchase. Um, you are a, a subscriber to the Movie Fantasy League newsletter. Did Not any really. of these movies me- make it onto your lineup? Um, These would be, for our listeners... Uh, Robot Dreams was actually the number one best value. It's gotten 125 points to date. It was only a dollar to buy. Um, it is maybe 
Oscar nomination and 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, correct? Yep. It's maybe the movie I would vote for for the Oscar. <laughs> I would too. I think Animated it's the feature. best. I, I think it's the best one, but I would also uh, throw a vote to Nimona as well. Because I did love Nimona. It's I, and I, I think, think that Nimona ended up being such a good movie, considering the arduous road it had to um, being a completed film. Yeah, I explain think that because yeah, explain that to our listeners. Well, uh, the Nimona story goes all the way back to, like, it was a canceled project because it was set up at, I believe, Fox during the Disney merger and then just got yeah. completely wiped. So many. So it's that, had a long road. That's The Disney merger is sort of taking on uh, implications like the Sony hacks, where it's like, what were the movies that were impacted? It was like the writer's strike in 08 the Sony hacks, like these are these moments where it's like, what movies got caught in that particular Amber and, you know, uh, are now infamous Mm -hmm. forever. Anyway, the only thing that I have in my league from this top 10 that you put out is poor things, which poor things was initially supposed to be released in September. We thought that was a bad sign. Yeah. And that's why it was only a $10 buy yes. in the game. Well, also but the fact that... so, I was like, mm, that's a pretty good... Uh, that's a pretty good deal. But also the fact that Sight Unseen... And we had... I had set these all before um, New York Film Festival. Um, was it New York or was it... Where did Poor Things... Venice. Play? Was Venice. Um, but you can't trust Venice. Anyway, there was definitely a sense of, is this going to be too weird for, um, you know, for... Well, Searchlight slotted it in the, like, September window that Mother was slotted into, and we were like, okay. But anyway, it was such an attractive prospect for voting that every single roster that is currently in the top 100 of the Fantasy League has poor things on it. So if you drafted poor things, good for you, but also it's probably not helping you because everybody has it. So it's kind of a wash. It's sort of a social pick right, right now. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, second best value with 115 points to date um, off of a dollar buy is Suzume, which is the um, mm-hmm. uh, Makoto Shinaki uh, who directed uh, Your Name and Weathering With You. Um latest from that director and didn't really ever land in the United States. It got a Golden Globe nomination and then nothing. Played in the spring. Yeah. Um, But in terms of like didn't really ever take hold in terms of anything. Right? There Mm -hmm. wasn't a sort of like groundswell box office. The critics didn't really rally behind it for awards. Yada yada yada. Anyway. American Fiction uh, is number three. Oh, wait, I do also have American Fiction in my league. American Fiction's been a very good buy. I have a feeling that a lot of the top rosters uh, have American Fiction on there. Uh, 20 Days in Mario Pole, which was a $2 buy that has currently made hundred or 205 points. Um, that point value is only going to go up because I think that's winning the Oscar. It's very well. Yeah, it's a very, very strong possibility. Um, poor Things, as you mentioned. What, here's what I find astoundingly funny is tied for sixth place are five nights at freddy's and taylor swift the eras tour those were both of the movies that like won the box office stretch from like october through most of november those in the hunger games um they were valued differently freddy's was a three dollar buy taylor swift was a five dollar buy so they made different to have made different totals 
And yet they have the exact same points per dollar. They are both exactly 79 points per dollar, which is some cosmic shit that I don't know uh, uh, what to what to attribute that to. Um, weirdly, without getting an Oscar nomination, still a Michael J. Fox movie is our number eight value pick because it got all the precursors, essentially, for mm-hmm. Best Documentary. Um, Beyond Utopia was another one that did not get the Oscar nomination, but got like DGA, PGA, BAFTA nominations. And then The Mother of All Lies, which was a uh, international feature contender and documentary contender. I keep messing this up, which one it was shortlisted for and which right. one it wasn't. I'm pretty sure it was shortlisted international. And, and not documentary. That shortlist, but not documentary. Yeah, and it ultimately did not get... Um, very possible that it's a vice versa thing because I've said right. it wrong multiple times. But anyway, these value the, the value best value picks will obviously end up differently by the end of the year because once you get those Oscar points, um, things will get shaken up. But it's an interesting snapshot of you know who was able to really if you were able to cash in on a dollar buy and got Robot Dreams, like that's pretty good, right? If you used your five dollar buy to get taylor swift or american fiction you've done very well for yourself so congratulate yourselves um what else do we want to say about the the movie fantasy league before we move forward uh the leaderboard is the same the leaderboard has been the same for the last like three weeks like good for good for our um for our garys for doing the most and the best they are still four in the top ten um Seven in the top twenty, eight in the top twenty-five. Like it's it's just you're you're killing it. You're killing it. Um, shout out to Team Mike Nichols, seventh favorite woman. That is a deep cut <laughs> joke that I'm very very fond of. Um, what other? Obviously, any team named after Flora Plum, um, is going to be after my heart. So. I also feel like we need to give another shout out who we haven't given not have not given a shout out to in a while is Rebecca Alter leading the Vulture Staff League. Rebecca's uh, killing it. Rebecca's absolutely 148 it. of the entire game. Team name, here we go, Mama. I love I mean Rebecca, as I've said to Rebecca on Twitter, I love that team name so much. Um Although coming on strong is Allison Wilmore, uh, coming for coming for the top, Rebecca. So watch your back. Um, and then in the podcasters league, uh, some this guy over here that I'm looking at in the Zoom is currently know. currently at the top, fending off our good friend Katie Ritt. Which... Katie's gonna beat me though. Katie's gonna beat me because Katie has Oppenheimer and I do not. Yeah. What, how did, all right, Katie, so I'm in fourth place in this. Katie and I, oh, I wish I could look at two. All right, so she has Oppenheimer and Barbie, as do I. She has Poor Things, as do I. She has Taylor Swift, so, but, like, those points are done. Um, She has American Fiction in case Cord Jefferson pulls off the adapted win. Right. We both have Dick's the Musical, which I find very funny. Um, I also have American Fiction. So the only way I can make ground on Katie is perfect days. And the way that Katie can make ground on me is American Symphony. So if American Symphony wins, but she's also ahead of me by a good 200 points. So really, 
It's down to American Symphony versus Perfect Days, which is a real fucking micro, like, that is some Oscar nerdery right there <laughs> that Katie and I are coming down to American Symphony versus Perfect Days. That's um, that's quite funny. All right. My way of maintaining ground is uh, the Sandra Huller points. And yeah, you've got that, Anatomy I mean, of a Fall. I, both, I have both Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Both of which I think will emerge. And Boy and the Heron, which is going to win animated, probably. So um, you've got that. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right, Chris. Um, let's, get, let's get back to uh, possible marriage. Uh, right. Play Tuscany. Juliette Binoche, who I do have uh, for uh, the taste of things. Not that it mattered this season. We talked about this before. All right. Back to Certified be a Copy. a good episode. Later. Bye. Did I say this is my number one movie of 2011? I may have forgot to mention that. This is my. No- oh no, you did. This is my number one movie of 2011. It's. I love that. It's so good. It's not my number one, but you know. Yeah. It's it's on. You're you're a tree of life, boy. I get it. Um. No 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 no. My number one's probably Margaret. Oh sure, Margaret. Margaret's up there for me. I think this is. I think I've got this even higher. Um. All right. Why don't you tell the listeners all about the IMDb game? So listen, listeners, every episode we end with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. That's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Indeed. That's the IMDb game. That is the IMDb, uh, that is the IMDb game. Chris, would you like to give first or guess first? Uh, why don't I guess first this week? Okay. So, uh, in looking into uh, Juliette Binoche's uh, upcoming projects, the most sort of immediate is this upcoming TV series, the trailer just released, um, uh, and now I can't remember what platform it's on, because Lord knows, uh, TV's everywhere these days. Um, I think it's an Apple. Uh, it's called The New Look. It's essentially, she's... Uh, Coco Chanel and Ben Mendelsohn is Christian Dior and oh god I I will be watching this yeah uh, Glenn, unless it's like Apple Glenn Close is in it John Malkovich is in it um it will offer an, uh, another round of uh, Twitter know it alls to be able to tweet uh you know she was a Nazi sympathizer right it's like yes we know Coco Chanel was uh or whatever it was just like there was you know uh, maybe that's part of the show. Uh, you think it might be? Yeah, I think so. You know what I mean? Like, sorry, I'm not being sarcastic to you. I'm being sarcastic to these people. These people on Twitter. You can be sarcastic me. to me. I can take it. It's fine. Oh, cracks knuckles. <laughs> anyway, am I doing the known for for Coco Chanel? No, no, you're doing the known for for one of the stars of uh, uh, The New Look, who is uh, Clace Bang. Okay. So, the uh, not the Irishman. The... What's the- oh, one one television show. Sorry uh, for Clay Spang. Ah, uh, he w- what was he on? Was he on? Um, he was on Game of Thrones. He wasn't. I don't think he's on something like that though. Um. Well, I'll just go for the obvious. The square. The square. Yes. The what is that? Why can't I name that movie? And why do I want to keep saying The Irishman, the Robert Eggers Viking movie? That I think is way more boring than it needs to be. 
I liked it. Fight Skarsgård naked. Um, I liked it. Um, think directional. The, the Northman. The Northman. The Northman. All right, so you got two. No uh, one. And his TV show, which is... Place like a is it like American Gods? No, you would think he would he would he would fit in well. With something I think like he that. played a vampire. He might Maybe have. He was. Uh, I don't know what he would have played a vampire, but it's not a vampire thing. Okay, um, it's not in that. It's not in that genre that you're thinking of. The other TV show has to be something like that. So I'm going to say the Lord of the Rings TV show, whatever it's called. No, I'm telling you, it's not that genre. Think of something completely different than than that type of show. So it's like maybe a crime show. Maybe. Is it Mindhunter? No, it's more of a... It's not that dark. It is a... It's a show about a crime. Well, that's two. That's two wrong guesses. Oh, yes. So I should get my year. So your movie that you're missing is from 2019, and this TV show was from 2022. Okay, so Fargo? Not Fargo. This TV show began in 2022. Got it. About a crime. Yeah. It can't be the staircase. It's not. But is it um, under the banner of heaven? Nope. It's lighter than that. Lighter than Under the Banner of Heaven, lighter than The Staircase. Um, It's not a comedy, but there are comedic elements. It is created by and stars a comedic uh, comedian, a a comedic actress. Mm. A flight attendant? No. This woman was nominated for an Emmy. Um, This past, at this, just had Emmys. Um, But not for this show. Yeah, for this show. Oh, okay. Um... One of the other stars is a famous sort of uh, a nepo baby, for lack of a better term, oh. who was in a movie this year on this same streaming platform. Okay, that might so... end up with an Oscar nomination as people are listening to this, but I don't think so. Nepo baby that might have an Oscar nomination this year. The per- the Nepo baby won't have a nomination, but the movie that she's in might. Oh, okay. Oh, female Nepo baby. Yes. On a crime show opposite another woman. Yep. Who think not American? British. Yeah, think you know British. So uh, Scottish, Irish, Irish. Who is Irish that could be Oscar nominated this year? That's a Nepo baby. Maybe I don't know this person's a Nepo baby. Maybe I don't know that they're Irish. Um, Her father is like famously Irish. Oh. Although not an actor. Uh, Some type of sports person? Nope. Politician? Nope. Wow. Um. How am I going to get you? How Listeners you are there? screaming. No, um, not necessarily. All right. Um. Huh. So the poster for this show is five women uh, in front of a hearse. 
Oh, um, 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 it, uh, everybody tells me to watch the show. I couldn't get past the pilot. Um, it's, uh, Sharon Horgan is in the show. Yes. It's, it's not like five, it's not called Five Sisters, but I think Sisters is in the title. Not the number of sisters, but perhaps the quality of those sisters. Quality? Yeah, like. Bad Sisters? Bad Sisters. There you go. Bad Sisters. Bad Sisters. I liked it. I didn't love it. There were things about it that I was a little bit sort of, um, you know, hung up on, but I genu- generally enjoyed enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the second I have season. to confess, I don't think I'm a Sharon Horgan fan. Oh, I, I, we, I think we've had this conversation before. I do love Sharon Horgan. I think she's wonderful. Um, um, Eve maybe Hewson I just missed the, the thing that everyone loves her for. Eve Hewson is the Nepo baby I was trying to to steer you towards. Oh, okay. Eve Hewson is not getting an Oscar nomination. What are you talking about? No, oh, but Flora, Flora and Son might get a song nomination. I don't think it will, but it could. Oh, so it is an Apple TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Flora and Son, I think, will get could get a song nomination. Could. Maybe not necessarily yes, but yes. Yeah, Kleist Bang plays the guy who gets killed in uh, Bad Sisters. He's the... Uh... Oh, oh, Bad Sisters is the show I was... Yes, at. Bad Sisters is the show you're trying to guess. Yes, yes, yes. Got it. All right. Got it. So you're missing... 2019 movie, so the same time-ish frame as the Northmen. I've not seen this movie. I know this movie by the title because it's sort of a peculiar title. Um, It is a mystery drama thriller, according to IMDb. The poster has four actors, one of whom just won a Golden Globe, one of whom is a rock star in real life, like a legendary <laughs> rock star. In a movie. Okay, so just won a Golden Globe. Yeah, one uh, of these four performers just won a Golden Globe. I'm guessing it's not somebody who just won, like, Critics' Choice or Emmy. Nope. Which is why you say. But she was that. nominated so, for both of those, but she didn't win. I don't think she won Critics' Choice. So, okay, so it's again another female star. Who could that be? Not Sarah Snook. Not, um, who won the comedy one? Uh, Ali Wong? Nope. No, she won all of those two. Um, what one? Oh, Io, it's not Io Debery. Nope. Emma Stone won a globe. It's not Emma Stone. Uh, it's not Lily Gladstone. Think long, longish running TV show. Keeps recasting its major roles. Yeah. I think it's fine. Oh, uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge. Nope, 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 nope. Um, keeps recasting its major roles. I think it's finally in its last season. So, so, I'm forgetting whatever the supporting globe was. Yes, it's that. Um, famously tall. Oh, Debicki. Yeah. Okay. Imagine I forgot the crown. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's Elizabeth Debicki, Kleist Bang, this major rock. Star. Oh, um, 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 I've seen this. It's not very good. It has Mick Jagger in it. Yes. It is. Yes. Uh, it was a TIFF gala. Was it? It. Yes. <laughs> um, it was in, I think it was in competition at Venice or it was out of competition and then went to a TIFF gala. It's the title is stupid. Um, There's a color in the title. Tangerine. Nope. It's like think of your Crayola Orange. box. Um, 
uh, macaroni and cheese. No, think of your Crayola box and like the the sort of classic specific titles or specific colors. It's not just uh, burnt orange heresy. There you go. You got it. The burnt orange heresy. Yeah, I've never seen this movie. Oof, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> okay. What's it about? It's just a crime thriller. It's just a a kind of yeah yeah okay all right. So for you, I went into the recent history of Cannes acting prize winners, Uh and apparently we haven't done My Nemesis Uh on IMDb Games, so you get to do Caleb Landry Chung. Oh, wow. My beloved, my beloved little tweaker. Um, I shouldn't say that. It's sad that he got uh, into trouble with drugs. Um, Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. We'll talk after. Um, Caleb Landry Jones, get out. No. Um, three billboards. Wildly, yes. Three billboards. I both really like him in that movie, and I think he is part of. You cannot understand a word. That he's part of my biggest problem with that movie, uh, as well. But um, I have complicated feelings about three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Okay. Um, Imagine. Three more. Three more for Caleb. X-Men First Class. Correct. Okay. Um. Oh, God. The title of the, the uh, Softies movie I, has now been usurped by a thousand and one in my head. Um, but it's a title that's sort of like that, right? Uh, the Softies movie? Yeah. Not, no, I would no. not say that these titles are close. Okay. I mean, I'm thinking of something completely different. Um, well, since you I can c- guess that movie if you want. Well, I can't think of the title, so I'm going to not for a second. Um, Byzantium. Byzantium is in. You know, I love Byzantium. Your years are 2012 and 2021. 2012 and 2021. Um, <laughs> this is where it gets fun. Oh, shut up. Um, uh, 2012 and 2021. 2012, so it's the year after X-Men First Class, I believe. Um, what was Lil' Caleb doing then? 2012, I will say, is some type of action thriller starring a, um... Uh, an action star that definitely has like just a morass of these type of movies. Liam Neeson. Uh, good guess, but no. Less so, I feel like it's less so to this person's reputation that they have this, but they definitely have a bunch of Denzel Washington movies that just blur together. No. Definitely like star, star power, but you're thinking too highbrow. Okay. Statham. No. High, not higher brow, but like higher regard. Okay. Um. So Statham at least has a veneer of like, oh, well, that's dumb, but maybe I would have fun. I see this star in an action movie and I'm like I'm not. You're walking the other way. If you see him in a non-action movie, are you more interested? No. 
You don't like this person. No. We, uh, Mel Gibson, we have defended Mark Wahlberg, performances um, from this person before, and I think that this person has had great performances, but no, I don't want to see this person in a movie. Mark else. Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg 2012. Is it like shooter or uh It's not shooter, but he does have he is holding a gun uh on the poster, in addition to lifting up a shirt and revealing uh, bricks of money duct tape. Oh, I know what this one is, but I'm not going to be able to get the title. Um, frig. Uh, the other people on this poster, I will just give you this: Kate Beckinsale, uh, Ben Foster, and a um, goateed Giovanni Ribisi. Ben Foster, Giovanni Ribisi, and Caleb Landry Jones all in the same movie is fucking hilarious. <laughs> that is. Wild bingo! My t- someone's calling bingo on my this. Twitchy boys are all in the same place. My God, uh, bingo card! Oh, my beloved Twitchy boys. Um, point me in the direction of like what the title is. It like the something? It's not the something. It is one word that um is it like ricochet? I guess synonymous no. with illicit material. Synonymous with illicit material. So not Again. pornography, but like trash, um, <laughs> illicit material. I mean, that's what I say. When oh, I is it synonymous it. with like drug? Yes. Uh, junk. And that's also what I say when I see Mark Wahlberg on a movie poster. Mac. Um, uh, that's what I want to do <laughs> when I see Mark Wahlberg <laughs> on a poster. <laughs> um. Contraband. Contraband. For fuck's sake, contraband. Okay, the other movie I have definitely made fun of on mic, at least semi-recently, as a movie that does not exist. 2021. Drama? Uh, I don't think that's what you would classify this as. Action? Yes, but uh, horror? more so another genre. Horror? No. Uh, war? Uh, no. I should maybe I should qualify. He is not credited as a voice in this movie. Oh, it's animated. No, but I believe he just does a voice. 2021, so it's not Avatar. It may be mo-capped. Okay. But I think it's probably just a voice. Is it like a big CGI junkie piece of shit? Yes, also on streaming. Oh. (laughs) Is it, um... You definitely brought this movie up, and I was like, well, that's not fucking real. When, in what context would I have brought this movie up? I can't remember. Actually, it might have been on one of our Patreons? 2021. Netflix? Very famous headlining star. Netflix. And yet, no one watched this. Netflix? No. Apple? Yes. Oh, oh, oh! I can't believe I haven't seen this movie. It's, um... Uh, it's chappy but sentimental. It's um the. It is chappy but sentimental. But what's the title? Fitch or what the fuck? Uh, Finch. Finch. 
Thank you, Finch. <laughs> Finch is on Caleb Landry that... Jones's known for you. The devilish look on your on your face was for a reason, and I knew it was for that. Oh, <laughs> I can't believe there's a movie that stars Caleb Landry Jones, Ben Foster, and Giovanni Ribisi. That shouldn't be allowed by law. That should be illegal. They they should give out hazmat suits to people entering. What's the title movie. of the Safties movie? Heaven knows. What. Heaven knows what. Heaven knows what. A thousand and one. It's there's there's that's not similar. Vibesy similar uh, similarities. All right. You gave me Clyes Bang. Is that how we pronounce it, Clyes? I think it's Clyes. Sorry, Clyes. I said Clace. Um, all right. That's our episode, y'all. That was fun. It was a good episode. Go see. If you've not seen Certified Copy, um, make Chris and me and, and Peter, our uh, patron, very happy and go see Certified Copy. I will also say, unlikely three-hour episode, but I think when we have our Vulture insert, this is probably going to be a three-hour episode. Listen, it's just that way these days. Um, uh, we be talking. Women be shopping, and uh, and we be, we be talking. All right. That's our episode. If you would like more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz our Instagram at this head Oscar buzz and our Patreon at patreon.com slash this head Oscar buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find more of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and letterbox at Chris V file. That's F E I L. I'm on blue sky at Joe Reed read spelled R E I D. I'm also on letterboxd at Joe Reed read spelled the same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, Taylor Cole for our theme music, Please remember you can rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out. So take your bra off in a church, get comfortable, and write us a nice review. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buds. Joe, happy 15th anniversary. Happy 15th anniversary. Pretend you're my husband.